So it's a spiral though, where yes, you're going forward. Yes, there is stuff to look forward to. Yes, there is hope, but a spiral does what? It goes forward, comes back, goes forward, comes back, goes forward, comes back. And to me, that's a really beautiful picture of how you actually want to live your life. And a word for that would be rhythms, yeah. right? Rhythms, that life is not about endlessly doing things on a bucket list, but life is about incrementally living and flourishing in a cadence and a rhythm that serves me well. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. I'm assuming I, you want me to call you Jeff, or would you like Jefferson on the thing? Well, how do you want me to? Probably 50. I mean, people call me Jeff, yeah. but I feel like the internet name's Jefferson, so okay. take your pick. Okay. Take your pick. There's a funny story behind that, too, because my real name's not Jefferson. No way. Yeah, we can tell it on the podcast if you want. Well, the podcast is rolling. Let's just start right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bethke, man. Yes. Uh, I'm not even going to call you by your first name. I'm just going to call you Bethke. I know. Is it Jeff or Jefferson? Let's tell, tell so, the story. friends call me Jeff. Okay. The internet name, for lack of a better phrase, is Jefferson, but that was a nickname in high school. Okay. Uh, my real name's Jeffrey. I hate that name. I didn't. Jeffrey. I know Jeffrey, but I don't like that name. But that's what the driver's license says. No one's ever called me that except my mom when I'm that. when I'm in trouble. Okay. So Jefferson was just a nickname in high school because it was just kind of funny, you know, with guys and bros and stuff. And I think I liked politics and Thomas Jefferson. I can't remember mm. the etymology, but they just started calling me that. So then I made it my MySpace display name. Remember those days? Yeah, yeah. Then that jumped once I got a little older in college to Facebook display name. Yeah. Then I randomly had a video go viral, yeah. and then all of a sudden all these news articles started calling me Jefferson. Jefferson. And my book agent, my literary agent, who I signed a book deal right after that went viral. Was like, sorry, man, but your internet name is now Jefferson. <laughs> I was like, that's and so here we are. Funny, that's another funny. funny story with it though too is Alyssa didn't even realize until we got our wedding invitations, and I just never forgot. I forgot to tell her, and she's like reading the invitations. She's like, oh, look at these invitations, Mister and Mrs. Jefferson Bethkey, you know. And I was like, oh, haha, you know my name's not Jefferson, right? And she like she actually no got offended. Idea. She got like offended. I was like, oh, I, I just I forgot to tell you. My bad. That's funny, yeah. man. So All she right, tells that story, dude. That's awesome. What do we start the show? Okay, so I know you. I mean, we've lived on Maui now together. Yeah. You live, you know, like we talked about earlier, you're up country. You're That's an right. adult. You're a whole different vibe. That's right. You're up on the mountain. I'm down used by the beach. You used to be down by you. You used to be down here. Yeah. And I would love to talk about that house deal at some point <laughs> yes. later because that's sick. I'm down. Uh, we'll get to that later. So I know you. I mean, even when I moved here, everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, do you know Bethke? And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I, I know the video that went Hopefully viral. Like yeah. everyone knows the video that, you know, back, to, what, 10 years ago? 2011, so 12. Wow, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll talk about the video here in a little bit. I knew of you, and it was one of those, like, everyone's like, yeah, you got to meet him, got to meet him. And yes. so I know you, you know, New York Times bestselling author, mm. what, multiple times, probably? Yes, yeah, 10 weeks, 10 or 11 weeks total, I think, between Dude, books, yeah. That's awesome. Viral video, 85 million plus views. We'll talk about that in a second. Serial entrepreneur, I know you have a clothing line. Women's now? clothing line. Women's clothing line, like, which is, we can get into that, too. I would love to talk yeah, about that. Some friends of ours. Uh, father of three, husband of one. Yes. Your kids are amazing. They're uh, fun. You have a TV show on Yippee? We did, one? yeah, yeah. We, we did two seasons. Yep. That was actually really fun. And that one, I'm sure you found this too, but when you're a content creator, you do things all the time. And I always pay attention for what people come up to me when they want to say, hey, or whatever, for what they are coming up to me for. Yes, yeah, Like, yeah. what did they, like, you know? Yep. And that that one popped way more than we thought. So people with kids, that's like usually the thing they yeah. come up and say hi with. Yeah, that my... or like we made a random wall calendar a long time ago. I that hilariously... Yeah did so well that people come up and be like, I think I know you from a calendar. They don't know anything else I do. They're like, don't you make a calendar? That's funny. I know, it's weird. Yeah, dude, I, I had the calendar for a long time. And I, nice. I really like it. It was a it. nice calendar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we, uh, I mean, I talked about bringing that into the Better Life Tribe yes, or something. Dude, we did have down. that calendar. Yes. And then you have like the, 
sickest house in Maui. Like le- legit, <laughs> the best house in Maui. It's like we, I, we do I, love it. Yeah, I'm very jealous. You have, you it have was an a lot house. of work. We almost died remodeling it, but the view's nice. <laughs> the pickleball court's nice, and we love it. Yeah, and and so uh, I was at your house a few weeks ago because yeah. we did. Uh, do you want to talk about daddy daughter? Let's start with Dude, that was daddy fun. daughter. Yeah, your dance. first time. My first time. I was so we're movie. we're three years into this daddy daughter dance, and I'm sure you know some guys have heard of that, and dads do that usually at churches and stuff like that, which is really fun. Yeah. But usually those are at such scale, it's pretty like just big. Yeah. And I feel like uh, three years ago now, somebody of ours just had an idea of like, hey, let's get our daughters together and let's honor them. Let's dance. Let's have fun. Let's make memories. But it's a smaller scale. And I'm sure you, maybe you felt this, but I'd love your interpretation. It just felt, it just feels chill. Yeah. It's like 10 dads, maybe yep. 12 dads. I kind of invite who's around that in that time if they're not vacationing or off island. And it's a blast, man. And you, you'll see this as we go on. I started looking at like the pictures the last three years of my daughter and dude, oh, you just freaking yeah. cry. You're just yeah. like, only two, only three years ago, she looked like a whole different kid. Yeah. You know, she was six then, my daughter Kinsley. And now she's nine. And now our youngest Lucy, who's four, has been roped in this last year because she's old enough now. But what did, what, how did That's you feel so, about it? Did you guys have fun? Dude, it was, it was, what did it Rosie was the say? Best night. Yeah, it was the best night of Rosie's life by That's far. Cool. That's she cool. has Sometimes not, it's the dress up and the yeah. anticipation and more yep. than the dance. Yes. She, yep. every minute for the whole like week beforehand, she's all she talked about all week was going up there. Cause she also like, you guys are a little celebrity to her because she watched the show. That's amazing. Right. So she like watched, watched but That's she doesn't amazing. understand like, Celebrity, she doesn't quite. Yeah, like, yes. yeah, I don't know how that she's works. She's like, oh, that's the coolest. She's like, yeah, yeah. But she watches that guy's you guys. a show, and then I also watch Bluey or exactly. whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just like a show she watches. Uh, what's the show called, by the way? If people want to check it out, I think it's just Meet called the Bethkeys. Yeah, I think it's okay, called yeah. the Bethkeys, and then the subtitle something like Adventures in Hawaii. And it's yeah. basically we we do an adventure every single episode in Hawaii. Go jump off a cliff, go zip line, go spear fishing, whatever, with the kids. And then I usually then the whole premise is then I teach them a lesson about God or their life through that adventure we did. So like yeah. cliff jumping is about fear and all that stuff. And yeah. You know, stuff like yeah. That. It's, it's so, so good. So yeah, that night, yeah. Rosie still talks about That's it. Absolutely awesome. loved it. My favorite part was at the very end, of course you holler out to all the dads or no, all the girls yeah. who wants me, what was it? Who wants yeah, me to said, jump who wants in? Me to jump, and we, the f- final song ended. And I think I said, who wants ice cream? They all said me. me. <laughs> and then I said, who wants me to jump in the pool with my clothes on? They all said me. And I just jumped in immediately Full without sand. thinking yeah, about just, it. But then what happened after I jumped in? Every single dad, Domino all effect. of us, yeah, all with our full like nice clothes or dress clothes, yes. all through. Th- I should have thought about that. My shoes took five days to dry, and they're still kind of like curled, but it was it was worth it. Well, here's the magic of that of that moment. In fact, there's a book called The Power of Moments. I think it's actually that's in my top yeah, right ten. There. That's in my Mount Rushmore. Oh no way! Yeah. Love that book. I love that book. Right? Life changing like, book. Be intentional about creating magical moments. That entire night, what did that cost you? Uh, like ice cream? Yeah, like two hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, hundred bucks. Like, and that's just because it's Maui prices. Mainland have been twenty bucks of ice cream. <laughs> exactly. So, like, you created a memory for these girls and for all the dads mm-hmm. that is irreplaceable. I will never forget that night. And it costs 100 bucks. Yes. How many things in our life could we do that mm. just require intentionality? Yes. In fact, I would challenge everyone listening to the show, like, why not just, do, if you have kids, do a daddy-daughter yes. dance. Just yes. steal it. Yes. Or even, and is it that book or is it maybe one of his, what is it, the Heath Brothers? Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of their books where they talk about, they say, beware the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness. That quote uh, is always in my head. And good. they basically talk about that. They basically say, so much of our life is driven by the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness, meaning, oh, that's just that's going to take time or, oh, that's going to cost too much money. Or he's like, don't be reasonable. Be reasonable sometimes. Be reasonable with real estate. (laughs) Be reasonable with your investments, whatever. But when it comes to memories with your kids, when it comes to memories with your spouse, when it comes to your own heart and mind, do not be reasonable. Spend like, so for us, a good example for that is that. That was a great example. Another one for me is like, if you looked at mine and my wife's restaurant spending, it doesn't look reasonable, but to me, <laughs> but in what I, but to me, man, those are the moments yeah. when we're just having good wine, good food and yeah. hangs and talks, man, that is like, 
I'm like, this moment I will remember. Yeah. Because I chose to like go for the dry age steak instead of the, you know, oh, whatever. 100%. And so like, to me, it's like, beware the soul sucking voice of reasonableness. I always think of that. And I think it was actually those guys. That's really good, man. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I think both of us uh, absolutely love like Yeshua and Matt with Caviar. That's Yor. their that, MO. That's their thing. They're like, how do we make moments around wine and food yes. in epic locations. You use yes. them a lot. We've yes. been, I think I've been doing 22 events with them. They're coming on the Are show at some point soon. Yeah, we just keep, Dude. we keep doing it. We're yeah. planning another one for Vegas right now. They're uh, incredible. They're incredible people because they understand that like, why not do that? Why not jump yes. into the pool at the end of the night? Yes. Or why not, you know, get thrown off a boat like the other night? Yes, when we were there yes. Well, you know, every time I think of them and I'm, I'm a huge Narnia Lord of the Rings guy. Uh, so yeah, hopefully yeah. if I'm telling, you know, if people don't like that, but uh, <laughs> I think it's Thorin Oakenshield in either The Hobbit or Fellowship of the Ring where he says, if more people valued good food, good cheer, and good song more than hoarded gold, it'd be a merrier world. Wow. And I like I live by that quote. That's like so good, good song, good food, good cheer. That's a better life right there. That's, That's a, a better, better life. life so. Dude, I love it. All right. So I want to talk about all the stuff we just hit on. This is a good tease for a lot of stuff we'll get down. covering. All right. But let's go back. Take okay. me back. So I know you with all that stuff, big deal. Just in the Christian space. I mean, you've done a lot of like speaking, a lot mm-hmm. of the video stuff, a lot yeah. of courses on in the Christian world. But take me back even earlier to some other point in your life before you were, you kind know, the bio Jefferson. before all that. Yeah. yeah. Before I was, before you were Jefferson, before I was posing as a yeah. name that is not on my birth certificate. <laughs> let's talk Jeffrey. Yes. Let's talk <laughs> Jeffrey, not Jefferson. That's so true. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I actually, you know, the reason I maybe even, I trace a lot of my joy and I feel like I do have maybe an abnormal amount of thankfulness and joy about my day, almost to the point that angers my wife, you yeah. know, and almost <laughs> to the point that pushes over the ledge of like, I'm always like, oh, it's okay when it's like actually not okay. So I need mm. to, that's something I need to grow in. But I think I have an abnormal amount of joy and thankfulness in my life because I actually had a very difficult upbringing. Uh, single mom, uh, she had me very young. My mom also had a crazy life story. Hi mom, if you're listening, I love my mom. She can tell her own story, but it's, you know, she had some crazy stuff, drugs, prison, uh, bad parents put into juvenile hall, emancipated at 16. So like I'm, you know, and then she has me in her early twenties. And so I'm kind of, kind of coming in that context of her still trying to get all that stuff together Mm -hmm. and try to find her bearings from all the bad stuff that she had to endure. And then, yeah, raised with a single mom. And we're on the, whatever one step above homelessness is, is pretty much our life. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. complete food stamps, our whole life, complete section eight housing, our whole life, you know, and by the grace of a lot of, you know, really generous people, we were able to get groceries here and there and things and like that. But yeah. And then, um, I have two sisters. They were raised with my dad. When they were teenagers, he kind of made some bad decisions um, with them. And so then they moved in with us. And so then uh, there was only a little one-bedroom Section 8 house, or sorry, two-bedroom. My mom had a bedroom, and then I had a bedroom. But then they got my, my, my mom, to her credit, was like, hey, older sisters, they got, they're teenagers, they get the bedroom. So yeah. like, figure it out. <laughs> and so I slept in a hallway for six years, you know, wow. or five years or whatever. And so, yeah, so like, I look back on that, and it's funny too. I mean, I don't know your whole upbringing, but for those listening, it is weird when you have that story. You don't think it's weird when you're in it. Correct. Yeah. It's just normal. It's just life. It's just normal. But then you kind of get out of it and you heal and some of these things you're like, oh, that maybe wasn't normal. That that formed me in really good ways. That maybe maybe it was hard on me in a couple of ways. But I think that really was, you know, a lot of my life. And my mom was the I kind of think of um, I feel like there's some Avengers scene where someone's like holding back all the bad guys with their strength. My mom felt like that though. Like she protected so much. Like she did everything she could to just like protect all from me from everything and just put me one leg ahead. And so it was still very hard and very difficult, but you know, good grades in high school and played baseball and then got to go to first one of my, uh, to college and my whole family. So like, and that was credit to my mom. And so, yeah, I look back at my life and a lot of it, I'm like, man, I know what it's like to food scarcity, housing scarcity, all that stuff. But then, yeah, by the grace of God, you know, just like massively, you know, twenties, I just, when I got into college, I started really kind of getting a little bit different quality of life and just realized how different that was, you know? Were you raised in a Christian home? I mean, I was in the Christian. Yeah, so my mom. Yeah, so there, there's. Then that was. And I have. I have very. You know, a lot of people have a lot of church hurt. A lot of people have a lot of. You know, context with the church. I have a lot of like church like thankfulness because 
again, they stepped up as like the superheroes in my life. So my mom took us to church and I would go to, you know, I did VBS, I did Awanas, mm-hmm. I did all that stuff. I did youth group. Oh, yeah. And I look back so fondly on like those memories of, man, those are some of the, some of my, you know, some of the best, uh, what am I looking for? Like mentors of men. Some of the best pictures of men I saw were those men that kind of took me in, took me camping, took me to baseball games. Yeah people showing up with resources and groceries, even kind of like my, she's not my blood aunt, but she's pretty much my aunt because she basically came alongside my mom my whole life and like just helped me, watched me, took me to games. My mom had to work, stuff like that. So yeah, I look at very fondly on like kind of Christian community and how much it just shored me up. Yeah. That's very cool. So how did you get from that to, let's talk about getting into the viral video. Yes. So I go to college. I go to Point Loma Nazarene. It's a Christian school down in San Diego. I wouldn't actually said I was a Christian at that time. I was just kind of like the cultural content, just the like, whatever. I I love Jesus, whatever, you know, but I was started making some real bad decisions at that college. I was went there to play baseball. It's an amazing, if you Google it, it's the, probably the prettiest baseball field in America. (laughs) Home run, if you hit home run far enough, goes into the ocean. So it's just like, it's incredible. Um, I was going there, started making some bad decisions, got kicked off the baseball team. My first girlfriend, serious girlfriend, who I thought I was going to marry, broke up with me, and then I got put on academic probation. So they're like, hey, we're going to kick you out if you get one more bad semester. Mm-hmm. And I did, and they did. So then I moved back home and went to community college just because it was too late to go anywhere else. Uh, played baseball there, kind of got my act together. And then really, like, you know, I would say I'm, I'm coming from a Christian context, and my life is indebted to Jesus. And so that, that year, I felt like I experienced Jesus in a way different way. Like just yeah. read, read the gospels, these historical documents, right. Kind of coming at him from an outsider of like, Oh, who was this guy? Why do we talk about him? Why do we care about him? And man, the power of what he did on the cross. And then this, like this claim that he rose from the grave, that he's yeah. resurrected was monumental to me, changed my life. And it really did. It turned my, it was slow, but it turned my life around completely. So then I just started making so much better decisions. Start. I remember I was a huge shoplifter. That's a random story. I got arrested. At, I got arrested at Target. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I got arrested at Target. No, no. Um, but at the full circle, my book sold in Target. So that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Even though I got kicked out of Target for a year. I mean, like globally, they don't let you come in for wow. a year when you shoplift. Um, what did you steal? A lot of stuff. I think the one I got arrested <laughs> on. I think the one I got arrested on was um, uh, five CDs, and I only I still remember a couple of them. Notorious B.I.G.'s greatest hits. <laughs> Um, some P Diddy CD, it was all hip hop. It was all hip hop. And I think like a chameleon air CD that was that area. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember the other two. And I took him into the, the bathroom, took off all the stuff. Cause you know, that's where the sensors are. Yep. And then I put him in my bag and left. I didn't have my license yet. So this is actually even a little earlier. So this is actually in high school. And I forgot about this and I, it happened again. It was, it was a lot, but this, this story <laughs> is actually in high school. And my buddy was with me driving the car to a football game. And he was a division one football recruit, huge lineman, like six, four high schooler, six, four large guy could tackle anyone. And I'm this little scrawny guy who hasn't gone through puberty yet. This cop car just <laughs> rips behind our car before we have to pull out lights on and just like aggressively pulls us out. But they're way, they man, manhandle him way more than me. Cause he like looks so big. Yeah. It's hilarious. But anyway, he didn't know what I did though too. So he was like, why are, why is this yeah. happening? So that, yeah, so that happened. Damn. But, um, where was I going with that? And so some, well, where, I was going to say something about that. We started stealing. Yeah, I know. But I'm trying to remember why I was going to make that point. <laughs> there was something that just bad decisions, bad decisions. And Instead of just turning my life around and saying like, oh, I'm doing better now, I really tried to make restitution. So I mean, I, I anything that I owned that I feel like I stole, I like mailed it back. I wrote a letter. I sent it to oh, a friend, wow. you know, all that stuff and start doing stuff like that. And I just realized for me, man, when I started doing that, even though that was really tough and awkward, man, like it just, it felt like I was living freer. It like mm. felt all the stuff was falling off my shoulders. And so, yeah. So then I do that. I'm walking. I'm, so then I'm in college. Fast forward to my senior year. I'm now going to a non-Christian secular univer- liberal arts university in Oregon. And I want to uh, do like a, I write like a little spoken word to tell people about Jesus um, to do at our open mic and I perform it and it went well. It was kind of, you know, I thought it was gonna be awkward. Cause like, you know, it's Portland. That's not a very inviting yeah, scene yeah. with that kind of stuff. 
but it went well and it was fun. And then I closed the notebook and that was it. I literally wrote one spoken word. That was it. I wasn't like going to do it as a career, nothing. Six months later, I'm, I'm now graduated. I'm just working a job at a community center, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. My buddy was home for the weekend who films all my videos to this day. He was 19 at the time. I was 21. And he said, Hey, let's like make a video. Cause you know, millennials make videos like we breathe. Yeah. So just like, sure. Let's make a video. What are we gonna make a video about? I'm bored. Like, I have no idea what we're going to make a video about. This is like early YouTube days, right? Where it's just fun to make videos. Kind of like how people do like small TikToks now. And I was like, Oh, well, I don't need to think of an idea. I have this little poem thing. Let's just go somewhere and record that. That was literally as, that, that was as much thought that was put into it. Yeah. It looks professional cause he's really good at what he does, Yeah, it looks. Great. but it was literally that like, Oh, fun. Like a random weekend. I randomly had already had that written for something else. We did it. We uploaded it. Thought our moms would see, and then yeah, overnight it was like a million, which is wild. Yeah, that's wild. wild. It was called just, Jesus. What, it was Jesus, Jesus is greater than religion. Jesus yeah. is greater religion, and, and then it just blew my life uh, yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, within that week, I'm going to New York doing all the morning shows and all that stuff. And what's interesting now is virality is way quicker now. Mm. So I feel like it only lasts about a half a day, maybe a day, and that's still like it's still yeah, yeah, as a content creator, it's great. But back then, virality was like two or three weeks. So, I mean, like I was just like news articles. I was also like all the art people are arguing about it for weeks and weeks mm. on all these websites. And I actually don't wish to repeat that season. That was so difficult to have that many eyeballs on you yeah. and that much like pressure and critique, especially at 21 when you weren't anticipating it. For those who haven't heard it, man, obviously people can go to YouTube and type mm-hmm. in Jesus. Uh, It'll be the, the first one that comes than, up. Yeah. Even if you type my name, I still think it's the first yeah. one that comes up. Yeah. So, yeah. but tell what's the gist of the thing? Why did it hit so much, do you think? And- well, I basically talk about the difference between Jesus and religion. So I kind of say, hey, I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Jesus, they're actually thinking of the thing Jesus critiqued. Mm. So, you know, you read the gospels and Jesus has a lot to say. These gospels, these historical documents from the first yeah. century, when you read Jesus's words, What's crazy is some of the most animosity and anger and frustration he had was not to the prostitute, was not to the tax collector, which if you know a first century tax collector is a very, very not good man, stealing from his own people to give to the Roman people so that they can basically use that money to then go crucify his people. But, which is wild, wild. So they they were not like, you know, Jesus actually was gentle and kind with them, but then the religious establishment, right? The Sanhedrin, some of these other men, the Pharisees, the Sadducees man, he's like, you're whitewashed tombs. You're, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're dirty. You're uh, like, you're brood of vipers. Like just these, he was doing spoken word, right? Yeah. He's dropping <laughs> bombs on these guys. And so what I realized is, man, like there is, Jesus is actually different than like, try harder, do more, clean yourself up. And then maybe God will love you. That's actually the antithetical message of Christianity, right? Religion is this message of climb the ladder to heaven. And maybe when you get there by doing good things, God might let you in, which by the way, that doesn't sound very sure, right? When the, the Christian message, the reason why it turned the world upside down, you know, in the first, second, third century, specifically before Constantine is because it was actually a message of God coming down that ladder and saying, I will do it for you. God putting on flesh, dying for us and absorbing our sin and then resurrecting and saying, yeah, that actually worked. That's what the resurrection is saying. Like, yep, I was right. I said what I was going to do. And now new creation, new life is here. You know, a better life is here. But yeah, so that was the, and I, so I I think, I think when people really hear that for the first time, they go, oh, that's either really interesting or they get really frustrated by it. Yeah. So I think that's what happened. Yeah. Why do you think there's controversy? Like a lot, because I remember back in the day, I remember, I don't remember where I was, but it was after college, but I remember when that thing hit and Several people shared it with me and they're like, yeah. this is so good. Yeah. But I, had, I saw a lot of people were like, this thing sucks. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. Like this theology is like, where, totally. where's the controversy at? Like, I think did... the specific controversy is in, I mean, dude, I was 21, right? And like yeah. a little spoken word too. So I wasn't trying to give some theological treatise. <laughs> I probably could have shored up a little bit more clarification on like, I also don't also really like the people that say like, oh, the Christianity is just like me and Jesus a little, you know? Yeah. It's like, no, there's institutions and habits that are really beautiful and amazing. Yeah. And there's things we're wrapped up into. So I think I could have given a little bit more nod towards that. I think a lot of people that were really uh, frustrated were Christians 
not liking how I was like kind of communicating yeah. it. And I mean, you've probably learned this. When something goes viral, it kind of takes on a life of its own. Meaning what I meant with what I said yeah. is actually when it gets to scale, doesn't really matter mm. how it's actually on yeah. a whole taken in yep. is what matters. Yeah. And so I had to kind of be like, oh, if like, here's a rule of thumb. If 10% of people thought I said X, well then for lack of a better term, they might need some help and they might not be that smart of people. Cause that's yeah. not what I said. If 70% of people say, oh, I think he meant said X, yep. then that means I said, I didn't say it right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes perfect So I feel sense. like that's kind of what I learned. Yeah. And it's hard to control a narrative once it gets out into the that's world. That's true right? too. It's, yeah. yeah. Oh. We, have, we have a property right now. This is a funny story, but I have a property where the, so I get this message on TikTok yeah. of like, hey, this is your property, Brandon. You know, what the heck's going on? Yeah. And I look at, watch the video, millions of views on this video. Is it your property? It's my property, oh, one, oh, of the, oh. one of my big apartment complexes I own. And with some partners and like, I mean, I'm one piece of that puzzle, but the video was some reporter talking about this Jeez. apartment complex has a curfew. They don't let their tenants out after 10 p.m. And I was like, first of all, that's weird. And it went yes. viral because it's such a weird thing. Yeah. So then I, I hit up my manager and my partners. I'm like, what's going on here? Yes. What, uh, like this thing's going crazy. What do you, mean, I don't, you literally can't come out the door. Yeah. After yeah, 10? yeah. That's what that, that, so that's what all the, and all the comments yeah. were like, sue them. And or like, maybe it's like a noise yeah. ordinance thing that got reinterpreted. All what was they were trying, so what I find out the story, it's like the night manager, like the, um, well, not maintenance, uh, the security guy yes. was like, Hey, there's a lot of homeless people walking through here at so night. He's actually trying to protect he was people. He's trying to protect people. Yeah. Trying to put up a sign that said, Hey, you know, nobody can be out after 10 o'clock, yeah. meaning homeless people don't come here. Yeah. Of course, once it gets out in the world, and again, yeah. like you said, if everybody sees it the way that it looks, it looks terrible. It's yes. on me. It's yeah. on our team. We issued a, you know, yes. statement to all the tenants like, hey, this is, yes. it was some rogue guy that's, that's low down on the, but once it's out there, I mean, yeah. people are, I mean, but it's a, millions it's a, of people not know about this. That's so. a lesson to both of us though, because I think, or lesson oh. to both sides of the yes. coin. The one lesson that we're talking about is to the content creator side. Yeah. Hey, you need to make sure that what you actually communicated is being received is what you communicated. Yeah. Okay. So sh tighten it up if it's not. Yep. And especially if the percentages go a little bit greater than 10, 20, 30%. If most people are saying, hey, he said X, but you didn't, then you failed in your communication. But to the receiving side, to the consumer side, I also encourage people like slow down, mm. like do all your research. Yeah. Google a little bit more, check on it a little bit more, read the fine print because so many people are just making so many flash decisions. Yep. And have no nuance, no patience that it it kills me actually. Yeah, there. I haven't talked about this publicly, and maybe I'll cut this out of the podcast, but I'll I'll say it anyway. There was a. You don't think I should talk about it? Okay, we won't, maybe it. we won't cut it. There was a time during COVID. Remember after COVID was kind of starting to come up. Oh, oh, was when you almost got canceled. Yes, that whole time. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, like, so I I made a video on on Bigger Pockets mm -hmm. called. Uh, yeah, so like, I, I said I have a thousand tenants, and this is how we're dealing yeah. with eviction laws during COVID. Well, Hawaii had a lot of tension. You remember that period where- Everywhere did Hawaii, Yeah, yes. it was a lot yes. of tension and people were angry with the protests were going on on the mainland with the Black Lives Matter stuff. Yep. And here it was a lot of like, yep. we don't like all the tourists that are now flooding our yep. island because yep. they couldn't go to Europe. Anyway, during that period, I, in this video, I said I have a thousand tenants and then I was talking about eviction laws. Well, somebody on island who had a big following saw that and then posted out there, Brandon has a thousand Hawaiian tenants and he's evicting them during COVID. Which again, that's like such a spin. It's such that's a spin. Such, yeah. I had one tenant who was on <laughs> section eight and I didn't even charge, like she didn't, yes. she's, she didn't pay any rent. Nice lady, Hawaiian lady. Yeah. It didn't matter. Yep. And I Once could not there, fight you can't the pull it back. I had hundreds of DMs. I had death threats. I had Jeez. like, where's this guy live? People yes. were organizing, trying to figure out where my house was. You can't, and I couldn't stop the tide. Even when I tried to, right? I'd say things like, hey, I don't have any Hawaiian yeah. tenants. Like, I, I, I don't it's have too any. Late. I, it's I, too, late. too late, right? They would just yeah. be like, the, you know, I'd say like the government pays your rent. The government? Yeah. <laughs> the government's a sham and yes. you're part. And I'm like, oh, geez. Like, yeah, you're I like, can't. actually, that's a blessing. Yeah, that they, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. And, you, and I just learned in that, like, you can't stop that 
You can't stop the rage monster. You can't stop the rage monster. But I feel like to the consumer though, especially people listening, like you got to be so careful to not jump, to not jump on that and just pay attention to your, here's what I found. Yeah. Here's what I found is the internet works on, on speed so much. Like those things go so quick and then they, they're almost, that's actually the definition of a virus too, by the Mm. way, which is different than organic growth, even though technically a virus is organic. But, um, is that viruses because they're consuming all their fuel. That's why we get, you know, They're consuming all their fuel. They self-cannibalize and then completely fall and die, right? When organic growth is actually retaining, has more fuel than the actual growth it's go- doing, so it constantly gets bigger and bigger in a slower, healthier way. And I feel like so many of us, our life, our mind is is virus growth. It's mm. like it's fast, quick, depleting of the fuel yeah. that then actually just you fall off a cliff. That's the actual definition of it um, is that it exhausts the word that, you know, it exhausts all its fuel. When organic growth never exhausts its fuel because it's sustainable, right? Yeah. So I just, man, like live like that, you know, think like that, live like that. But what I found is, so a good rule of thumb for me is when there's a big controversy online and someone wants me to say something, mm-hmm. I go, sure, give me a month. Yeah. Give me a month. And then what's funny, in a month, no one cares. No one cares. It goes so No one quick. cares. And so I'll DM them, hey, do you still care? Do you want me to tell yeah. you what I think? Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the problem right there. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to say it in the moment that the tribe says yeah. you have to say it. It's like, that's not how thoughtfulness works. Yeah. We, we Yeah. If it's important, it'll be yeah. important a month from now. And if exactly. not, and that, yeah, it, that whole situation with me in Hawaii here blew over in five days. And it was yes. over. I've not got a single message yeah, since then. Yeah, right? because it's the, that's the it's virus. It's just it's a yeah, virus. It's boom, and then yep. it's gone. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I had another. I had another clip. Uh, I gave a reporter. I think it was for Business Insider uh, an interview. Oh, man, not good. Yeah. No, it was so bad. <laughs> and I said to them like. Like this guy was asking all my friends for like like dirt on me. Yeah, they're trying. Like, to, they, yeah, they they're trying to, yeah, they're writing that, yeah. an article about me. Yep. So I finally give them the interview. I talked for two hours, and I and the article comes out, and the title of the article was "Brandon Turner makes millions selling the dream." Even he thinks real estate's a terrible idea, and I'm like. I didn't yes. say that. So it's I read like, the article. It's like, yeah, it's probably one line yeah, where you just said, line. hey, the market might be exact, slowing down. All I said, I said, if you buy, if you picked a random property yes. and went and bought it, it would not be a good deal. You have yeah. to find good deals. They're yes. not just sitting there. Yes. And they took that one quote. They made it a headline. They took a picture of me, gave me a shiny gold tooth that shined <laughs> out. And I was That's like, pretty legit. That it was your profile so, picture. Yeah. I was like, your profile picture. Yeah. I was like, can I, sh- is this like a Sue worthy yeah. thing? Like, yeah. they, like I have a gold tooth in this picture. Uh, my teeth don't look like yeah, that. Like, I, like, and I'm I don't like, care about what they said, but they defamed my teeth. Yeah, my teeth. Yeah, they defamed not. my teeth. <laughs> and, but it just shows like, don't totally. trust anything. Like uh, my respect for politicians has grown so much in yeah. that I no longer believe a single article I read about them because yes. every news article, yes. every agency is just there to sell more papers or more clicks. Yes. And it's terrible. Well, all you got to do is turn on C-SPAN yeah. and realize that they're actually a lot more boring and thoughtful than uh-huh. you think when yeah. you can hear them for seven hours on the floor <laughs> rather than their little tweet. Oh, it's such you. All right. Well, let's get back to your story a little yeah. bit. I want to know more. Uh, so you blew up this yep. two-week period or yep. however long it lasted. Yeah. I mean, you got a, you got a book deal out of it. Booked yeah, it, so I was going to say, well. it, it changed my life. And it's weird to say that I'm, you know, so indebted. But yeah, a four-minute and 52-second video changed my life, mm. which is, you know, my job, my life, where we live, what we do. And so, yeah, so there was, a, I, I kind of took the, the moment to mentors of mine, really trusted people. And I just said, like, what should I do with this? And a lot of them said like, Hey, like you're very free and nimble right now with not a lot of debt. You're not married. You don't have kids like chase it. And just, if it pitters, it pitters, you know? And so I did. And yeah. And so uh, we were able to build some really cool things from it. And the first being a book, you know, that took two years to write or whatever, but yeah, but that came only about a month or two after. And that was still kind of an experiment of like, man, can I really make a job out of this? And now again, mind you, this is 2011 when like content creator, full-time job 
no one really saw that as a thing and still. Yeah. Right? It is, of course, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back then, people were like, my mom was like, you can't do that as a job, you know? And so the author thing kind of helped, and then that book did pretty well. And so that really kind of was like, okay, we can do this. And so, yeah, you know, 10 years in, probably my main couple things, uh, run and own a couple different businesses, invest in some things, do some things. Obviously, there's been real estate in the past and now. But um, kind of my full-time job now of what I feel like I do is there's probably about three or four projects or businesses or ministries, whatever word you want to use. Those would be true, true of all of them that just I run, you know, so one on men, one on family. We, we also co-own yeah. a women's clothing business that is really, really amazing with how it kind of serves women in a different way than the consumer culture. And uh, yeah, we serve men. We serve fathers and sons with uh, rites of initiation and passages with uh, my buddy, John Tyson. Mm. And then we serve families with a ministry called Family Teams. Uh, where we try to teach families how to not be a collection of individuals, but live as a strong team that can go on mission together. And that's it. Dude, and those, dude, I want to talk about all yeah, that. Yeah, that's my full-time gig is just running those. Yeah, okay. So I want to talk rites of passage. I want to talk family teams. Yeah. I want to talk like raising kids. Yes, uh, yes. But let's start with the clothing line, because you just mentioned that like it, it serves people, women in yeah, different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Where'd that come from? So our, our good friends started it. Jess and Joey, if you're listening, hello. They live on Maui as well. I think okay. you, you met Joey. It was at the daddy-daughter dance. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're amazing. So they started it together probably about four or five years ago. And it's a really cool concept. It's basically this concept of women's clothing and a wardrobe that's common, cohesive with kind of colors and palettes that you can easily find in nature. So it's very like, we don't do a ton of sales. We don't do discounts. It's really this like, what if we actually kind of create a wardrobe mentality for women that actually gets them to not feel anxious about their closet, anxious about having to impulse buy, mm. anxious about trying to go after something in a hustle in a hurry. So it's really about slowing down. And honestly, I think it's a metaphor for all of life, but it's this concept of basically like everything you buy from us should be able to integrate into everything else you buy from us for the long term because we want it to serve and be simple. It's almost, <laughs> I don't see, we don't say this on the website, but I joke with them that I feel like it's almost like a Sabbath for clothes vibe. Yeah. Like it's a very restful, slow, simple. It's called New Flora, N-E-U-F-L-O-R-A. And uh, we do one collection a month so that people can have a whole month to kind of think about their purchase and be thoughtful about it. But all I'd say, so they started it. They asked us to invest in it about a year and a half ago. And so we came in and we are half partners with them and we love running it with them. So it's, it's really fun. But it is cool to see yeah. how much it's, I think it's growing so well because it's growing very well because of that shtick. It feels like it's, it's not, it's so antithetical to the buy fast, buy quick, yeah. buy cheap. You know what I mean? And I think people are kind of going in all things besides clothes, going back to that. Like they want, people are yearning to slow down. People are yearning to have something that feels like uh, not digital, but physical, yep. right? All these things. And I think that are coming back. So it's cool. Yeah, that's cool. How, how much do you think it's growing? How, how much is that because of your, we'll call it fame, which is probably the yeah, wrong word, that'd be right? A, but that'd be that... a question maybe for Jess and Joey as well. But I think certainly when we, I think we maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm fuzzy on the numbers, but I think right when we launched the partnership of us kind of, I think we 10 X like pretty quickly. Yeah. So I think there, yeah, I think there certainly was like a gasoline aspect to it. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where they are excited to partner because they're the brains of it. They're so good at it, picking the clothes and running the business mm. and, and, and uh, Alyssa hops in on try-ons and stuff like that as well. But I definitely think that kind of coming alongside with the marketing and the more eyeballs definitely was a big part. Which I think is just such a valuable point to make here is that like, if you are an entrepreneur, bringing yeah. somebody in who's got eyeballs. Yes, makes right? all the difference. Yeah, I went to this conference recently and they uh, it was a Dan Sullivan strategic coach. Yep. And there was a guy talking there, Dean Jackson, I think was his name. He was giving a talk on this. And mm -hmm. he was talking about how in the past, we, we always look at two things. There's ideas and implementation. Yes. There's like, I have an idea, I have implementation. And those were the only two things we really had. But yes. there's this third category called eyeballs. Yes. Right. So when you, you can have a great idea. Especially now. Yep. And you have a yep. good implementation. It doesn't mean you're going to sell the yes. product. You get, you add eyeballs to it. You, that's why Kardashian's a billionaire, yes. right? Like Kylie yes. Jenner. That's why the, the, the audience yep. scale is huge. And yep. what I always tell people too is 
look at business like a vessel that's either leaky or not leaky. And what I mean by that is if it has little drips mm. coming out of it as a small little boat, if you try to turn that boat into a yacht with eyeballs, then that'll be a freaking that boat will absolutely sink and it's a waterfall coming out the side, right? But if that boat is really tight and really polished and really clean and has no leaks, then you turn that thing into a yacht, then that's really fun to be on that boat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so all I say is with that is make sure you also don't get the eyeballs where before the thing isn't like dialed. Yeah. Make sure something's really tight and nice before you kind of try to scale. Because I think a lot of people, even with paid ads, people yeah. do a lot of paid ads on Facebook for all of their stuff, but their freaking funnels or their systems or their email captures or all these things just suck. Yeah. And so then they're just spilling water out the side. Dude, that's Alex. Just spilling that's water I'm, out the side. We just, so Alex sitting here in the room with us, Alex, uh, creative director. But uh, we were just talking about that at a meeting the other day. We had all these ideas for strategies right, though. and I wrote them all down and then yeah. I, I was like, look, we're having conversations down here at the bottom of the yes, funnel. Which are so we, huge. Which are important, but yes. we need to fix this. Like we were yes. talking like salespeople, right? Alex, like core product. Core, yeah. What's yes. our core product? Like yes. is the Better Life Tribe, is it dialed the way that it should be? Yes. Because all it's when you scale, all you do is make your problems or your success yes. better. Yeah. Or more. So it's like yeah. it's which one do you want? Yeah. You so if you've sure got you got problems, it's gonna get worse. Yes. If you got solve if it's them really and then good, do it. Yeah, hundred exactly. percent. I love that you said that. And they did, and that's why I was been a such a fun partnership, is they freaking built a beautiful, incredible, amazing philosophy, clothing, picks, taste, all these things. And then it's fun to see it go. Yeah. You know, to, to translate this to a real estate lesson, since I know a lot of real yeah. estate people listen to it, you know, it, it's this idea of the, the things that if you run a tight ship buying a single rental property yeah. or flipping a single house, even if it takes you a whole year to do it, your first one, like you spent yeah. two years remodeling yes. your house, right? Yes. But you build, treat it like you're a hundred, you know, a hundred person company, like treat yes. it really well, dialed, fix all the leaks, figure out, like figure out where the leaks are at. Cause yeah. they're going to be there. Document your processes, get it nailed. Then you can scale up. I mean, that's, it took me 10 years to get to whatever, 50 units. It took me three more to get to 10,000, right? It's easier. It just, exponential yeah. curve. It's yeah, a we get stick. exponential, but we mm-hmm. could not have done that had I not gone through the process of figuring yes. out how the rest of it works. And I think especially in the internet age, people are so tempted by seeing people's highlights online, which I'm, I, by the way, I'm not the guy that knocks social media. I love seeing people's highlights. Just know that's what it is. But people are so tempted when they see only highlights and people's 10 year growth or whatever, 10 year fruit that they just want to jump to that. And it's like, you don't, you got to just slow burn, slow growth. And the hockey stick is a hockey stick because those first eight, 10, 12 years were yes. not a hockey stick at yeah. that bottom part, you know? Yeah, the the story of, even your story to, to a degree is so the exception, not the rule, 100%. right? Where yeah, 100%. almost every, I mean, yeah, even, but you also are part of the rule as well, where yes, you had a viral video, but- But it, it took me 10 years to you, actually build stuff that yes, pays the bills. That, exactly, <laughs> totally. right? Yeah, so it's still every, I was gonna yeah. say, t- you said 10 years, I was gonna yeah. say 10 years. It, everybody I know who's wildly successful ten took 10 years Yes, for everything. Like, and it's funny too, because it's our world has such a problem with like storytelling and narrative too, because then when people finally hit it, yeah. they'll say like, oh, he's, he just started yep. or, oh, you rookie of the year or whatever. You know, I always think about that with music. Like I, and this is just a Seattle shout out cause I was born and raised in Seattle, but Macklemore, you know, he had yeah. his obviously huge era, whatever, seven, eight years ago, that dude was doing 15 years of music with rooms yeah. that were 200, 300, 400 people. Yep. And so it's not a coincidence that, but it, but why is the Grammys calling him uh, rookie of the year or whatever? Yeah. It's like, no, he's been making music yeah. for 20 years. <laughs> but so what do you mean by that? What you're really saying is rookie celebrity of the year? Uh, yeah. Because just this year he became really famous. Yeah. That feels weird to me. Yeah. That's like not actually the story. So yeah. I don't know. It's a good reminder that, so if people are sitting in their business for two, three years and they're just like grinding, it's like, when's this yeah. supposed to be easier? I'm like 10 years in. Yes. Like you stick with it for 10 years. Well, and think it about hopefully gets And easy. think about planting a tree, right? Like you don't, you know, if you want to actually get an apple off of a tree mm. that you plant, I think actually we, we planted a lime tree at our last house and I, <laughs> I I went to the place and bought it and I was so excited to plant it and be like, I can't wait to eat a lime. I looked at the guy and I said, when will this actually give me limes I can eat? He said, eight years. Oh, Jesus. I was like, <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah, in that eighth year, maybe two. Oh. I'm like, oh, 
Never mind. That's funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, but it's oh, like, you know. I got a metaphor to expand on that. So this is true, right? So then what I did, because I wanted limes yes, earlier, yes. I went and bought an existing Just lime tree. So the big lime tree. Transplanted. Yep, and it, I transplanted it here. It's and like guess what? A business. I, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. the metaphor, right? Yeah. So I went and bought a tree that was already producing. Yes. I put it in my yard and I, six months later, I have limes yes, now. That's amazing. Right? So that's the amazing. same way, yeah, you can start a business or this is where like Cody Sanchez comes in with like yes. her lessons, like buy boring businesses. Yeah. You can. But there's danger in that as well. But that's yes. what you did. You guys you guys took 10 years of probably that. I mean, not that they were doing it for 10 years, but yeah. the knowledge that they gained over 10 years totally. to build the closing business, 100%. you came in right away and yeah. boom, now it's 10x yeah. growth. Yeah, and then that's a perfect combo and partnership. And yeah, yeah. that's yeah. I'm a big believer in partnerships because almost everything I mentioned is a partnership. So, yes, and that's what you can do. You can combine skills, combine things. I think it was a, maybe it was a Harvard study where they talked about, and of course there's all exceptions to this rule, but they said the magic rule of successful businesses is two founders or two partners, excuse mm, I've me. Heard that too, yeah. yeah, because it's one, they don't know enough. Yep. Right. And three, four, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, two is the perfect blend if you find the right two. If you yep. the Venn diagram of skill set is like it's amazing. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Do you engage more on the I mean any of the operation side of these businesses or yeah. are you more the visionary a side? A lot of what it's vision. A lot of it's vision. And I would say maybe like the ideation of implementation. Okay. Like I would say like, hey, we need to do XYZ. Yeah. Here's the I'm I feel like I'm at my best kind of knowing just e-commerce courses, online businesses, Shopify, like that's kind of my wheelhouse, but I'm usually not the one doing all the content or doing all the upholding of like the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not sitting there like looking at clothing lines. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Jess is amazing at that. She kills that and picks forming men and primal path, which is the men one and the father son one. Those ones, John Tyson, who's an amazing speaker, author guy. He would be the guy that he's holding up all the content. So he's producing insane amounts of content for those. And I'm kind of just like pushing and running the behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and then same with family teams. So that's why I'm a big believer in partnerships. Cause when, if you do it by yourself, you got to do it all. And that's hard. Yeah. Well, hard. let's shift and talk about some of these, these things here. First of all, I want to talk about a couple of the books you've read that you've written yeah. that I've, that have been a big impact on my life. Ooh. Hell with the hustle to hell with the hustle. Oh yeah. Tell me about that book. Where'd it come from and why? So that it? was, I, that was two books ago. I wrote that 2017 and that was one of those weird books where like, then COVID happens. You're like, Oh, this book is more important now yeah. than, you know, who knew, who knew, who would have known. Yeah. For me, I'm, I, let's see, I would have written that book when I was 27 I got little kids running around the house. I've been trying to do business stuff for five or six years. And it just started feeling like, man, I'm burning out. Yeah. I'm really just burning out. Like I can't do all of it. You know, I can't do a lot of it. And what it really just turned me towards is trying to, you know, this big kind of um, research time, but also just like thinking through my, my own habits and rituals. Yeah. And like, man, for me, I started realizing like basically how just like hustle and hurry. That was that era when that was really popular. Remember like just yeah. hustle and grind and yeah, stay up yeah. till midnight, whatever. I just realized like that was actually killing me. That wasn't serving me. That was killing me. So I was like, okay, well, what is that? The actual antidote and the actual antidote to me is like rhythm. I, I always think about, yeah. this can be hard to explain for people who are listening just on audio, but you know, the image I like to think of is there's historically, there's only three pictures of time. I talk about this in the book, which is really fascinating. So you have the Eastern view of time. This would go back to like, you know, kind of um, Buddhist cultures, Eastern religions, the very ancient East. Their vision of time is like a circle, right? With an, air, an arrow, but it's a circle. It's just an arrow going in a circle, 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 right? And what this, there's no concept of future. There's no concept of past. There's no, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just, it stays in the same place and it goes around and around and around. That's where they get the concept of reincarnation, right? You just, you die, you do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. There's no future to it. And so what that leads to is passive being, right? You think about that and you're like, that wouldn't make, that would not give me any grit. That wouldn't give me any ability to just charge. Okay. That's not really any of us that's, you know, but we're Western. So Western view of time would be a straight line arrow, right? Where it's just absolutely just shooting towards the future. Now, what that produces is a lot of anxiety because that's actually why we, that's why in the West we're obsessed with bucket lists Mm. because it's a straight, it's a line going straight. You can never go back. You can never go back. So you better put very good notches on that arrow 
that you're going to remember or else it's going to be a really crappy life. So we're obsessed with bucket list memories because we don't realize it, but our vision of time is a straight line that actually produces a ton of pressure. It's not a coincidence. A lot of our hearts metaphorically feel and sound like a ticking clock mm. because that's just how we view time, right? Just tick, tick, tick. That's why we're so yes. anxious. That's why we're so, because you can't go back. You can't go back in our view of time, right? It's not rhythmic. There's no cadence to it. And so that leads to a life of endless doing. You just do, 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 and you get tired, you get tired, yeah. you get tired. I would say kind of the Jewish view of time actually, but or what I would also say is the biblical view of time, kind of the ancient, more healthier view of time is a spiral arrow going forward. So it goes forward. Mm. Uh, coincidentally enough, the Jewish people were the first people in history to have a concept of the future. That's a fascinating thought to talk about. Yeah. Before them, no one actually, there was no concept of the future. They didn't. That, that was not a thing. Oh, wow. So the Torah was kind of the first place to introduce that. So it's a spiral though, where yes, you're going forward. Yes, there is stuff to look forward to. Yes, there is hope. But a spiral does what? It goes forward, comes back, goes forward, comes back, goes forward, comes back. And to me, that's a really beautiful picture of how you actually want to live your life. And a word for that would be rhythms, yeah. right? Rhythms, that life is not about endlessly doing things on a bucket list, but life is about incrementally living and flourishing in a cadence and a rhythm that serves me well, right? And so that could be a daily rhythm, weekly rhythm, yearly rhythm. But that's really where that book came from. As I said, the book is basically trying to explain how to go from that arrow to that spiral. And how that, and, I, and my argument is that that spiral view of living is so much healthier on your heart, your mind, your marriage, your friendships, because it takes away a lot of pressure and anxiety. And it's incremental, right? When you live in a spiral, you're like, oh, I only need to be 1% better because I can get to try again next week. Yeah. I get to try again next week. I get to try again next week. When the arrow is like, oh man, I failed and I never get to go back. Well, so let's talk about a concept in that book that you and I both are big fans of, and that's the idea of Sabbath. Yeah. Can we yeah. talk about Sabbath? What is, for those who maybe are unfamiliar with the concept, or yeah. maybe they've heard it, it just totally. sounds like a religious thing. What is that, and why does that fit in with that? To me, you go crazy two ways. So Sabbath is a day of rest, right? Sabbath is the, con- the, the kind of the ancient tradition of working for six days and taking one day of rest and marking it out, right? Um, and we could do a whole rest of the episode on just Sabbath, because <laughs> I geek out on Sabbath. I love Sabbath. Yeah, same. But here, here's the best way I would say to people listening. And they would probably agree with this just by their intuitive thinking, right? If you live every single day the same, you will go crazy. If you live every single day different, you will go crazy. Mm. I think we're biologically meant to live in a 6-1 rhythm, right? And what's fascinating too, as I talk about this in the book, there's multiple societies in history that have tried to buck the seven-day week. Here's Okay, we're going to really nerd out for a second. Can we do that? Please. Think about all of the circadian rhythms we have in our life, right? The daily, the yearly, all these things. How do we measure those? They're all measured by an external reality, right? So how do we measure a day? How do we measure a day? 24 hours. Yes, but like the, what, in astronomy, how do we measure it? Sun up, yep, sun down. exactly. Sun up, sun down. Day, night, day, night, day, night. That's 24 hours. Okay. How do we measure a month? That one's a little harder. Lunar cycle, the moon. moon okay. Yeah. How do we measure a year? Trips around uh, the sun. Trips around the sun. Yeah. Trips around the sun. How do we measure a week? There's nothing. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. There's nothing. So the, that's fat. Why? That's really weird to me. So day has a very external reality. So does a month right? A little bit wishy-washy with the lunar cycle, 29, 30, 31 days, the year, obviously. Okay. There's nothing that externally makes us live in a weekly rhythm, but yet human history has tried to bucket. You get French revolution, tried to do a 10 day week, went horribly wrong. Literally people were dying left and right. Communist Russia went to a five day week. What's your immediate interpretation when you're a five day week? That should be actually easier. Sure. The same thing. Horribly wrong, horribly wrong. The people got sick. People are dying left and right. And just like, they couldn't live in that rhythm. And so it's like the only argument I can really say with that is like, it sounds like someone, AKA a creator ordained some type of timeline on the week and we just got to stick to it, right? Or we're meant for it. So it's kind of like music, right? Like rhythm is music. And so either you're dancing to the music and that will go well for you or you're dancing and you're looking like like the white guy at the wedding dancing against the music and it won't go well for you. 
the music is an external reality you need to dance to. And I think the seven day week is like that. So some people might uh, rebel against, I mean, I definitely used to rebel against the idea of routine. Like, yes. I don't want to be a routine guy. Yes. I don't want to do the same yes. thing every, like, how, what's the difference between rhythm and routine? I would even say ritual and routine. Okay. So I think same, same thing though, but I would say, I think a routine is tying your shoes. Ritual is something that you inject into your week that is a routine, but elevates with meaning. So it's a routine plus meaning, right? Mm. Tying my shoes gives me no meaning. Yeah. Okay. A ritual is a flag in the ground saying, I'm going to let this moment give me an identity, small or big. And it's really about identity, right? It's really about like, this is the person I want to be. So take Sabbath, yep. a day of rest. To me, that's, it's not a somber religious day of like, okay, we can't do anything. We have to pray all yeah. these things. To us, it's actually freaking like Disneyland once yeah. a week because I see it as a feasting day. Yep. I see it as a, a day of just having fun with the kids. So to me, my goal is when the kids turn 18, I want them to, we call it Shabbat, the Hebrew word yep. for Sabbath, which means cease. I want them to see Shabbat as like, freaking the best day of their week when they're 18, mm, like that they can't yeah. even not see it as the best thing ever. And so if I'm talking to people who are like, oh, this sounds intriguing. I maybe want to implement it. The best helpful metaphor I could give you that you have to make sure you think about it like is think about a day, a Sabbath day, like Christmas. Mm. You have to think about it like Christmas because if you don't, you'll think about it as some somber whatever, yeah. right? But Christmas is what? A holiday. Yeah. What do you do on a holiday? Do you get out maybe a little bit special plates? Yes. Yeah. Do you maybe change the menu a little bit? Yes. Do you put out the nice napkins for the dinner? Yes. Is there a lot more joy on December 25th than there is maybe December 22nd? Usually yes. Yep. So it's like what we're doing is by the way, we made that up. Yeah. We made that up. <laughs> That's it. We made it up. We just pulled it out of thin air and yep. said, let's just do that. And all of a sudden we do it. Yeah. And it's freaking amazing. Yeah. I love Christmas. I'm, I'm Will Ferrell elf all day. I'm alone. <laughs> I'm in. But what basically at the end of the day, all it is is a day that we injected meaning to and then submitted to. And so that's all it is. That's really all it is. And so I just argue experiment like that, by the way, because I also think if we had no Christmas, but we like had no context of Christmas, it would probably take us a few years to get good at it. Yep. So it's a practice. There's a reason they're called spiritual practices mm. in the religious tradition. They're not called just a spiritual affinity. I mean, like you're not just kind of good at it because you kind of like to do it. So for us, it, it probably took us, we've been practicing Sabbath for seven years, eight years, it probably took us a year to actually enjoy it, especially with little kids. The first year we're like, oh, this kind of sucks. Same. Yeah, I'm kind of tired. Yep. This is really hard. But you stay at it, and now it's like, dude, I cannot imagine our life without that Friday night to Saturday night rhythm. And so that's what you guys are doing, Friday night to mm -hmm. Saturday night. And you can do whatever you want. Yeah. The only tip I give people is I do think starting at night, there is taking a note out of the Jewish handbook. Yep. Starting at night does have some element of beauty about it. It just feels like starting it with the nighttime dinner yeah. feels like light the candle, sing the song, bless your kids, celebrate, get the steak out, get the nice napkins out. It just feels a little bit more like a kickoff. Yeah. And then it, rather than this, like start in the morning and I don't know, just for us, it's gone really well doing it that way. Have you heard about the whole, like, and I'm, I might butcher this and somebody who's like deeply Jewish might tell me <laughs> I'm saying this way wrong, but I read this on Wikipedia about the third star. Have you heard about the third star when not. it appears? So I thought it was on Wikipedia once. It said that Sabbath begins and ends not at sunset, but and again, I don't know if this is true, yeah. but I liked it. Yeah. But it begins and ends when you can see the third star in the Ooh, sky. Because okay. nobody realizes that stars come out one at a time. They oh. don't, like, think about this. That's wild. They don't come out all at but once. right, because of light travel. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so you sit there outside and you watch it. And we do this now every, we, yeah. we don't do it on Friday night, we do it yeah, on Saturday yeah. night. But we, we, cool. the Sabbath ends when the third star shows up. <laughs> so we all go outside and we watch the star. And it's, you know, the sun goes down. Yes. And then about 10 minutes later, you see one, it's probably a planet, right? You see That's one. Cool. You're like, there it is, first one. That and is cool. The kids jump and get excited. Then you're looking for the second one. And it's yes. a, every week it's a moment. Yes. And it's a ritual that's just 
deeply like yes. powerful. And again, yes. I don't know if, if that's even remotely accurate, but I love it. I, I, uh, I don't care if it's star. true or not. I love it. I'm yeah. in. Yeah, because stars in. come out. As it gets darker, they start to appear. That's really cool. And so having the kids, and it's a moment of focus, yes. almost like meditation, but yep. the, for the whole family. So I like that. Yeah. So try the third Star That's Trek really some cool. night and have the kids look for it. It just becomes such a fun moment. Yes. Well, so. and there's something too, even like, again, you know, I know not everyone is all about the Bible here, but there's so much wisdom and, and nuggets there from even a practical perspective. You look at the book of Genesis, a very ancient, multi-thousand year document, right? Poetry and beauty and goodness and creation of mankind. And there's so much in there, whether you believe it or not. But one of the things there, when you see the creation of the day, according to the Torahic perspective, is how does God begin the day? It actually says, and there was evening and there was morning the first mm. day. Then a couple of verses later, there was evening and there was morning the second day. A couple of verses later, there was evening and morning the third day, blah, blah, blah. So what does that insinuate? It insinuates that God actually measures the day starting with what? And this is how Jewish people do it. The night, not yeah. the day. Yeah. But again, in Western culture, we are so self-centered. We measure it as, I just woke up. Day starts now, baby. Yeah. Day starts now. When it's like, how beautiful is it to actually say the day starts the minute you go to bed? How incredibly meaningful and impactful is that to realize I am not holding up the world? Yeah. I am not Atlas, right? I'm not holding up the world. And the day is not starting with me. And even if it is, the day is actually starting with my rest. Mm. The day is starting with my rest. And then I can live the second half of the day when I wake up. That will change how you live if you actually believe it. That's beautiful, man. So you, you mentioned a couple of things that you might do, like maybe the special plates, maybe some candles. Yeah. Can yep. you talk about, it's like, like what do you do on Sabbath? Let's call it Friday night yes. and then during the day, Saturday. What are you doing? What are you not doing? Yes. Yeah, so for us, we kick off with the dinner. Alyssa's parents live on our property. And so we have them over every single Sabbath. And to me, and again, craft it how you want, but I want our kids to grow up and see that like that night is almost like a kickoff party storytelling night. Yep. So what I do, which has gone so well, and we're years into this compound interest effect now, which is so beautiful to see, is yeah, we you know it takes less than five minutes to start the dinner, but it's funny how if you just do little small things, it is way different. So we put out some nice plates and napkins, we light a candle, we sing a song, and then we uh, bless the kids. We put our hands on their head and just say blessings over them. That takes less than three minutes, okay? Mm -hmm. But then what we do, if you have little kids and you have a hard time getting kids to sit at the table, this is the life hack of the century. And of course, like two years old, that's different. I mean, like four, five, six, seven, that yeah. kind of realm that's still hard. They want to squirm and whatever is... Put the grand yes, yeah, put the grandparents night. or anyone who's maybe older that you can invite to that table, put them on the storytelling hot seat. Mm -hmm. And then before they come over for dinner, tell your kids, hey, you get to ask Mimi and Papa, that's our grandma and grandpa, any question you want about their childhood. And it is insane how much kids will we've had four-year-olds sit at a table for two hours because it's just yeah. like it's funny, man. You you start getting you start letting kids loose in that environment, and they're just like what was your favorite? And, it, and we just let them, you know, what was your favorite Christmas present when you were younger? When was some time you got beat up or got bullied? And they're just like yelling them out, you know? Uh, what was the ones we just asked last week that were really good? Oh, Canon goes, what was your favorite teacher in school growing up, Mimi and Papa? And what did you love about them? And then again, what that does to a grandparent, by the way, yeah. the honor, the joy, the smile on their face. How, so it's almost like I get out of the way Friday night. I make the dinner and then I just kind of like, it's just grandkids and grandparents. Now it doesn't, again, you might not have grandparents around. Like I said, it can be anyone at that table. But it's really fun to just make that night about the communal aspect and the storytelling aspect. And maybe if it's just you and your kids, make that the fun storytelling night with your kids. Like so many of us parents, we don't pass on our story to our kids. Mm. They actually like don't know barely anything about our childhood. So it's like, get, put, make it fun and just be like, hey, ask me a question, right? You know, and um, there's a cheating way to do that. There's an Amazon journal. I think it's called like grandfather's journal and grandmother's journal. And it's actually a journal you give to your grandparents that has like 700 questions in it that they fill out over years. And we just use that as a cheat sheet of like, I'll just have flip to a random page and ask them. So we don't oh, actually cool. use it how it's meant to be used. 
But yeah, so do that with like yourself. And then yeah, Saturday, here's the best way I say it is I need to be going into my work week full of rest, not depleted. What will it take for a 24 hour cycle for me to do that? What, what do I need to do to do that? For me, it's not just sitting there. I actually like, that's not healthy for me. Yep. Uh, you know, Abraham Heschel said, if you work with your hands during the week, Sabbath with your mind. If you work with your mind during the week, Sabbath with your hands. I work with my mind, yeah. which means I'm typing, I'm thinking, I'm writing all week. I do nothing with my hands. I sit on a chair and I, <laughs> it's like, you know, I need to work out just to like get up off the seat. So for me, Sabbath is actually like gardening, right? Mm-hmm. Now to my landscaping buddy, Greg, do you think that's his Sabbath? No, <laughs> right? Because that's what he does all week. Yep. So that's a very good example of what did that Sabbath to you? Whatever you do. So like, you know, for me, I turn off the phone for that whole day, yep. right? Because like for me, my phone is work. It's, I love it, but it's annoying and it's buzzing and it's blah, blah, social media. It's, that's my life. So I got to do it. I got to lean into that. I got to steward it. But then on Saturday, I'm, I'm off. So it's like, it's off, turned off. I even literally, I have an Apple watch. I literally even put on another watch on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because I'm like committed, right? What else? We go to the beach. We go on walks. It's just like, it's kind of that Thor and Oakenshield, the quote I said, like good song, good food, good cheer. It's just like, what would it take to do that? Another way to think about it is what's your off button? What button do you have to push to go off? Is it working out? Is it swimming? Is it hiking? Is it sitting? Is it watching football? Is it good food? Is it a good beer? Is it good wine? Is it listening to music? Is it being off the internet? What is your off button? Find the off button. Experiment with it, by the way, because it's not something that's like you will try and fail. To me, it took me a year to know what my off button was and how I can get there and then do it and then just stick to it. Just like a Christmas. No one says, you know, it'd be funny if we did Christmas, by the way, it'd be like, what if someone get, we get to December 25th and we just kind of go, eh, I'm not feeling it this week. Yeah. Let's just do it December 28th. Yeah. That's not how it works. It's an external reality. You submit yep, to let's do it. And it's like, and sometimes you might be sick. Sometimes you might be throwing up, whatever, but it's like, it just, it is. It's an external reality you submit to. So that's what I would say. Yeah. That's so good, man. Uh, yeah. You know, like what I love about the, if you fact can't tell, that, I got Sabbath thoughts. I got yeah, Sabbath thoughts. I, yeah. We can, again, we could do a whole show just on it. Maybe we'll do a whole show someday mm-hmm. on this, but what I love is that every week you get a new chance at it, right? Yes. Because like there's especially That's the, first, the spiral thing. Yeah. I screwed up every, like the first year. We did it for a solid year. And yeah. like it wasn't easy with little two when it was like wow, there was yes. like one. Which in that era, hard. by the way, full permission. Like yeah. for us, yeah. that was like not the special napkins, not that it was paper plates yes. and pizza. Yep. And it was just like what's what makes it easy. What makes tonight? it easier and yeah, because like to, what makes it 100%. easiest for us to get there? Yep. We also like because we don't really watch TV and movies throughout the week. Now, like or like Same. today, we'll watch them on Saturday afternoon. Same. Yeah. And I and love the kids that. Love time. It. The kids love it. And it's it. communal. Yep. Because here's the thing, and this is actually another thing. I, I have a I have kind of a semi hot take where I don't think all screens are created equal. I think there's a lot of like, mm. oh, screen time's bad. Yes. Sure. And I actually do agree with that in general. Yep. I know what people mean, but there's a wild difference of a kid on an iPad in yes. his bedroom by himself. Yes. <laughs> right? Then actually like us watching as a family, the nine Star Wars together over yes. nine weeks. That's a wildly different, a human experience. 100%. And so they're not created, they're not created equal. And we're big on that. Like communal screen time, yeah. family movie night is how we end Sabbath. So Saturday night, every single night we watch a movie and it closes it perfect. The kids love it. That's we watch beautiful. a ton of nostalgic ones from the nineties. It's a blast. That's very cool. It's fun. Yeah. We started doing, and we'll have to, you know, We'll have you over sometime. Maybe. Down. But uh, Friday night, we do that. We have this big table. I haven't showed you the backyard yet. You haven't been, but we have this big, long 20 foot table Sick. back there. So, what was it, Alex? Last, was it last Friday or two Fridays ago? We had 25 people oh. over and we we grilled. Oh. Everyone brought the, we, had a, we had a pile of meat that was like a foot and a half high. <laughs> Afterwards, all the kids jumped in the pool. Yes. We sat around talking and sipping whiskey until midnight. Yes. It was such that's a, a good glorious life. night. That's like, a good life. Yeah. I, I'm like, I need, like, it took me a year or two. Why to find that out. Him? He's not in the Maui Cool Kids text. Yeah, we got to get the Maui Cool Kids. And, and no, it's, it's, the, it's the hour carpool. Yeah, it's the he's hour carpool. I'm in though. I'm in. Yeah, it's, I, that's when something like, when I first heard Sabbath, yeah, I thought it was, you know, be by yourself, 
pray, yes. whatever. And it's, it's for feasting. me, yeah, it's feasting. It's joy. Yes. What brings you joy yes. and rest and beauty? Yes. And and again, it's fun. You know, again, just to give people a little bit of a different taste of what they think the Torah actually says, if they have no context to the Bible, I'm going to blank on the reference right now, but I think it's in Deuteronomy. It's talking about the tithe for the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a feast when, you know, the Jewish people got taken out of slavery and had to basically be uh, travelers in the desert in, in tents. But it says, spend the tithe basically on themselves, on fatty meats and sweet wines. Mm. And again, how many, how much do we think tithe is about yeah. like giving to the poor, or not, which it is. Yeah. But there's a permission in there that actually says sometimes you need to spend the money you have put aside to just feast and delight. Yeah. Because that is actually, God loves that just mm. probably more than you. Some people are too serious. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I agree. It's like, that's my biggest, someone asked me this on my birthday a couple, a week ago. What's the biggest thing? How do you think you're different from your 20s? What I said was this, in my 20s, I feel like I was actually to a fault, too efficient and relationships got in the way. Meaning like I was the like, and I still kind of believe this thing goes away for this, but like I was the like, always no. Yeah. You ask me something, no. I'm focused, I'm focused, no. Like, yeah. be, and I, I preach it. More people need to say no more. It's like say no more, right? Everyone says yes to everything. You don't have that much mm. time, whatever. Say no more, be focused. My 30s, I say no to the right things, but what I say yes to almost no matter what now is people. It's like, you want to drink some wine and hang out and talk? I'm yes all day. Because I think human relationship is the joy of life. Yeah, didn't you show up that Kiave boys come on in? Yeah, same thing. And like, they just showed and they showed up. I was literally just doing dishes and then four guys showed up. That's the joy of life. Four of my buddies showed up on my birthday last week when there was nothing planned, literally knocked on the door and I'm doing dishes. I was about to go to bed in 10 minutes. Seriously. (laughs) That's how those guys roll because they roll so late. And they just rolled in with freaking Wagyu steak, a bottle of wine. They know I love ice cream. So they brought a bunch of ice cream. And again, I was just like, and I, I left that night so full yeah. and I was like, this is the joy of life yeah. right here. A table, right? The table's a perfect metaphor for what kind of like what I want to live my life as. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I love it. All right. Well, we, again, we could talk about this stuff forever, but if I, yeah, if I get one encouragement, like, you know, the Better Life Tribe and this whole podcast, right? It's, we talk a lot about living, like the tactical things you can do to live a better yes, life. Yes. It, for me, if there's one thing I have done over the past three, four years yeah. that has given me the biggest bang for my buck when it comes to a better life, it is implementing the Sabbath, 100%. the Shabbat every week. Uh, and we we screw it up all the time and I, I mess up and it's not always been perfect. It's but practice. It's practice and yes. we get better at it every week. And mm. I look forward to it like Christmas morning. Oh, what, what fast food joint Sabbath? You know the answer. What? What fast oh, food yeah, yeah. company uh, Chick-fil-A. I mean, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. So Chick-fil-A yeah. has a fascinating stat. They, they are per store, per store, they average 5X the sales as any other competitive fast food restaurant. <laughs> now, I did not say 5%. Yeah. I said 5X. 5X. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Yep. And they have one less day to do it. Yeah. It sounds to me like it doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Or it sounds yeah. to me like the day off might actually have something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know it's like, I mean? it's like Excellence well, yeah, and, wild that some ancient, no. uh, yeah, ancient exactly. wisdom exactly. actually works. It's true. And it, it works. Yeah. Works. Right. And it's not even, I mean, like there's a lot of cultures and beliefs that, that have this idea. 100%. It's like weird. It actually We're works. The, only, the Western people are the only ones that just say, <laughs> let's just burn ourselves out. Let's live every day the same. Let's just work 24 seven. Let's look at our phone at 6 a.m. Let's look at our phone at 10 yep. p.m. That's just like, you know, it's wild. Yeah. Crazy. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it if you do that. Whew. All right. Let's talk primal path. What does oh, that yeah. mean? What is that? And why is that so important? I to you? love that name, by the way. I did not think of it. So one of my, I would almost call him a mentor, but he's also very, he's, I would call him a friend, but he's almost like a, a mentor as well. My buddy, John Tyson, um, he would be probably considered one of the foremost thinkers, preachers, speakers, and teachers in the city of Manhattan. He's just a brilliant man. If you want someone's thoughts on a concept, just listen to what he talks about everything, you know, life, money, human sexuality. He's one of those guys where you're like, dang, I've never met someone more well-read. Yeah more informed, more thought-provoking, more unique, but he's a really good friend of mine. 
He did this journey with his son. So here's what's interesting. Again, it's talking about the West. You look at human cultures, all of them, they do it differently, but all of human culture is probably pre-industrial revolution and certainly outside of the West. So pretty much modern society have done some form of initiation for their kids right when they reach about 12, 13, or 14, right? And that can look at a bunch of different ways. You know, the National Geographic version of like the bullet ants and you wear the glove and all that stuff, right? There's, that's a classic famous one from a tribe, I think, in the Amazon. But basically what it is, is your kids need to know when they go from being a kid to being an adult, or at least starting that journey, okay? It's a very pivotal journey in, in uh, every aspect of a kid's life, right? But the West doesn't have that. The West doesn't have that, right? You know, what, what, are, what are ours? Like, you know, having sex for the first time, you're getting yeah. your driver's license, they're dumb and they're not meaningful or they're hurtful. Yeah. So they're still, they're still like, a, they're a mark, but they're not giving what the old ones used to give, right? In regards to meaning and, you know, someone you had to go out and hunt or go out yeah. and stay, you know, without food and water, you're basically put yeah. out in the jungle as a 13 year old boy and you don't come back unless you bring a, a pig. Yeah, like that scene from 300 where like exactly. Spartan, right? They throw exactly. him out in the, with the wolf and he has and to Yeah, go, and you got to figure yeah. it out. But, like yep. that, but that's a moment, man. That's yeah. a moment for your identity, for your life. So John really started to understand that and see that in a lot of cultures, but realized there's nothing in the West that does that. So he basically created, he kind of put all that together and created this pretty insane program for his son, Nate, and he called it the primal path, where he basically did this crazy kickoff where they had a severing dinner, which is because there's always, sociology proves there needs to be some level of psychological severing for a boy, specifically from his mother at 13. Mm -hmm. And actually that's for a healthier relationship for them. It doesn't mean like that they leave them, but it's a psychological severing. You know, you need to have some type of a hardship you go through. There's like five shifts that each boy has to do in his first year that usually all those historical societies have done, blah, blah, blah. So he did it with his son. And then after those kickoffs, right, then it was a multi-year journey of him waking up every single morning with his son and teaching him basically life school for five years, right? Like, here's how you need to, here's what you need to believe about money. Here's how you date a girl. Here's how you shave. Like he, it was wild how intentional he was, right? And he was posting about that on social media and people just lost their minds how epic it was. Yeah. And so then long story short, I was like, dude, you, he kind of did something of like sending it to people, but it just wasn't, it was like a Dropbox link or something, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And he would laugh about this. And I was like, dude, <laughs> dude, this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You need to button this up a little bit more and make sure people have it. Right. And so I kind of came alongside and kind of basically run it now. And basically, you know, he's the content guy and then we run it and it's cool. And it's in churches. A lot of ton of individual dads are doing it. And it's basically an online program where we walk you through initiating your son. And then we would use the word discipling or life forming 13 to 18. It's that's, amazing, but it's, beautiful. it's deep, it's intense, it's tough, but it's fun. Cause now we have a huge community. You know, I'm sure you love that part of too, about yeah. when you see people implementing your ideas in their unique way. So with the initiation, you see people put their own spin on it. So there was a, there was a dad from Colorado in the tribe. Have you heard of like 14ers? You know what those are? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Mountain, Colorado. Yeah. They're like, they have like 40 of them or whatever. It's all those mountains over 14,000 feet. This dad took his 13 year old son and they climbed three 14ers in one day. There's a specific group you have to do because it's like, you're not going all the way. To, it's like a, it's three that are close together so you sure. can do them. But yeah, it's like stuff like that. You're like, man, that's wild. But it's amazing. These sons are just being formed and deeply, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of transitioning from boyhood to manhood. But so, yeah, so I, I run that and help, help John with that. And what about yeah. the, what about the girls? Like, is there, a, is there initiation rites of passages for women? It's yes. And it's well, a couple of things. So one, you need to do something for your daughters. Yeah. But again, as you dig into the research sociologically, what's really fascinating is Girls absolutely need to transition into womanhood. But what's fascinating when you read a lot of the old, the research from tribes and ancient cultures, there wasn't a lot of those for women and it, for girls. And it wasn't because they were sexist, but when you actually read the research, it's because girls probably a hundred to one more than boys actually have those initiations in their body. 
Uh, like, isn't that wild? Right. Yeah. And that's what it talks about. Like, so you still need to do it, yeah. but it's more about nurturing the moment rather than creating the moment for them because not to get, be vulgar, but it's literally yeah. like they start bleeding. Yeah, yeah. They start bleeding in, yeah. in puberty. Okay. That is, is there anything more kind of like tribal initiating than, than blood? Yeah. There isn't. It, it's just, so it's fascinating when you read the research, sociologists actually say that a woman's body carries her own initiation. Now a mother and a father have to steward it and kind of like kind of pastor them in that moment, if that makes sense. So yes, there is, but it's just fascinating how it's a little different. Yeah, it is. That's, I had not thought about it that way, but yeah, yeah. men don't really have, like, there's not a moment where no. you become a boy becomes a man. No. There's not a physical. I mean, a little, a little bit more hair some places. Yeah, your and you're voice like drops that, but that, a little But that maybe. doesn't do it. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't not, like, it's not a visceral. It's yeah. not visceral, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, interesting. It's not that power moments. Yeah. Kind but of we are, yeah. yes, but we are coming with a girl's version soon. Oh, very yeah, cool. Be, yeah. Oh, a way awesome. to disciple your daughter and love on her and stuff like that. All right. Well, one thing I want to talk about before we kind of begin to move toward the end is I want to talk a little bit about the idea of family teams. Yeah. You know, that book made a big impact on me as mm. well. Uh, what's it called? The, Take, the Back Your family. Take Back Your Family. Yeah. I won't ruin it. I'll let you talk about what is it like? What was the point of that book and what did you mean? Like, what's a family team? Yeah. So the point in that book is I kind of demonized the industrial revolution a little bit in that book. But of course, there's obviously, you know, we're driving cars. I'm loving my yeah. life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but what's interesting about the industrial revolution is a trade-off that w- I don't think we signed the contract for, meaning like we didn't know this was actually going to happen. We didn't agree to this, was how much it disrupted the integration of a family. Yeah. So pre-industrial revolution, the father was where with his work? In the home. He was in the home, right? He's blacksmith right in the backyard. He's farming right there in the backyard. And where are the kids, by the way? They're actually probably working where? With him. Yep. With him. So it's a very like integrated team by the nature of the commerce. Yeah. And that has a lot of benefits to it, right? Even kid size, right? Like, by the way, have as many kids as you want or as little kids as you want. I'm not on either team. But it is interesting how psychologically we've shifted, right? In the 1800s, you wanted to have eight, nine, 10 kids. Why? Because those kids were employees, Yep. right? Now we want to have one kid, maybe two. Why? Because our kids are consumers. That's a very different kid identity, Mm. isn't it? It is. Right? We have kids now to give them safety and blessing and goodness and entertainment and toys and all these things. And so they're consumers. So more kids means more what? Stress, anxiety, and pressure. And cost. Yes. And cost. When it was actually the opposite in like the 1700s, less kids meant all those things because you had no one to work the farm, no one to help out, no one to be with you. I'm not saying that, you know, there's also child labor problems back then and all that stuff. (laughs) I'm just saying that's an interesting difference. Okay. So what we talk about is one of the poisons, here's how I'd put it. One of the poisons of Western families that I think hurts a lot of families is that it's really just a group and a collection of individuals, not a team, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning like the, the individual is the most important thing over and against all the other individuals. And so then what happens is competition and consumerism win in that environment because either you're competitive with each other because it's all about who can get the most resources from each other, or you just consume and leech off stuff to try to be basically a fattened calf, right? Just like enjoy and gorge your life or whatever. But a team doesn't have that philosophy. A team pools resources for what? For a mission, yeah. right? And how powerful would it be if our families actually saw ourselves as like being on mission? And I know you have a lot of like kind of business real estate guys that listen, entrepreneurs and women and men and that listen. And to me, one of the biggest, I think, mistakes and things that makes me sad about people in that environment is they tend to be freaking A plus at teamness, for lack of a better term, in their business. Yeah. And it fails in their family. Yeah. And so all I say is, because a lot of guys will be like, oh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. I'm like, dude, you are doing everything it takes to be an amazing dad. You're just doing it with your employees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, that's it. Yeah. You're actually amazing at it. Yeah. You, have, you, hold, you hold team meetings. You cast a vision. You have goals. 
you kind of tap in certain resources and people. You say, oh, you're really good at this. Boom, I need you to be this. Yeah. You're really good at this. I need you to do this. Oh, you two together? You guys are phenomenal at this and you guys wouldn't be able to do that solo. I need you guys to join up. And so it's like, man, bring all of that into your family. And so we do. Like our fa- you come into our family we have, and we have little kids still, you know, nine, seven, and four. We do Sunday family meetings and we talk about goals. Our, our nine-year-old and our seven-year-old know what's in our bank account and we're casting vision and we're doing all these things. And what's crazy is, and there's been, again, some really interesting psychological research on children. Up until age four, the most important thing a child needs is self-esteem, right? Meaning like unconditional love, excuse yeah. me. Kind of, it's kind of similar, but unconditional love. Kind of that like, you're loved no matter what, you're loved no matter what. You would think that would go till 18. Now, of course it's important, but you know what's really interesting? After four, they don't measure that as the most important thing anymore. They found that the most important thing is just meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. So up until four, your kid needs to know they're unconditionally loved. After four, they need to know that they are freaking matter. Yeah. Right. So many kids, they're unconditionally loved. They are, they don't matter. Like, well, why are like you, the parent has never articulated to them. Why are you here? Yeah. Like, you know, besides just the, like whatever identity things, meaning like, no, no. And we tell our kids all the time, you are here because we are a family team and we had a gap in our team that God decided to fill. And we could not go do our mission. If you weren't on this team, mm. just like, I mean, the, would the warriors be the warriors without Steph Curry? No. Would they be the warriors without Draymond Green? No. Right. So team roles, super important, integrated for one collective mission. And so for us, we're really, it's just, man, it's a big shift. I think there would be a lot more blessing and goodness and love and beauty in the world. If more families kind of went left the consumer mindset and kind of the safety is the most important thing to actually, Hey, we have a purpose together that we can only do together, not individually. And we need to rally to do that. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. You know, one way that book made an impact on me, there's one, like one line stands out to me more than anything else. And I'll probably butcher it, but you'll know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Where you said, when I, when you go to travel, yes. uh, you're not, Hey, dad's got a job. He's going to go travel yes. for work because that's his thing. Yes. Family's sad at home that dad's not there or maybe <laughs> yeah. they're happy. It's, we are sending dad out yes, as an ambassador, as an ambassador. Totally. Yeah. For our mission. And that one is such a psychological toy, I guess, mm. or play, but it's crazy how it, it makes the world's difference. Yeah. Meaning like nothing actually changed in my behavior. I was, I didn't like not stop traveling, Yeah. but what I realized is, oh no, I'm actually going out as an, like, you got to think about it like the United States, right? Yeah. When you send an ambassador to another country, he is not all of a sudden just like disconnected from the United States. He's literally representing the United States. Yeah. And so like, what if you thought of fatherhood like that, that everywhere Mm. I go in work, I never take off the father hat. I'm actually representing my team. Yeah. I'm representing my team. And when you go back and you tell nine-year-old that, 11-year-old that, 14-year-old that, it is wild how much more, I I just noticed when I changed that, it's crazy how they stopped crying when I would leave. Yeah, same. You know what I mean? Yeah, same. They they would actually start cheering for me. They'd write me little notes. And of course, it's still hard practically, but man, it changes. You know, here's a better way to put it. People don't realize how much what the story they live in and the story they tell themselves and their family dictates everything. Story is everything. You believe a story and you're living in a story and currency is a story is also currency. And if you're not telling the right story, living in the right story, it, it'll change. I'll give you an example with sexuality that I always think about, right? So that's a hot button issue. People talk about it like today. There's three very different stories with sexuality today, right? So you got the sociological story. The sociological story be sex is about power. That's the classic one that everyone's getting canceled about right now, right? Yeah. It's about power dynamics and it's all about that, okay? Of course, there's an element of truth there. That's the sociological story. Then you got the secular story. The secular story is saying, no, sex isn't about power. Sex is about fulfillment and just pleasure. So sex is about just getting what you want, hedonistic, okay? Then you have the sacred story, which would be, I would say, the Christian narrative, which is sex is about covenant and oneness. Sex is actually a glue that puts a marriage together. Those are three very different stories. Do you think your life might be different based on which story you believe? I think so, right? Yeah. Like if you believe that sex is all about power, you will radically use 
sex in a very different way than if you believe it in the sacred story. So same thing with family, right? Whatever story you believe absolutely dictates your behaviors, absolutely dictates your behaviors. And so that's a, for me, the example you just, you, we changed the story yeah. and, it, and it mattered. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I travel now, I did the, exactly that. So when we look at our mission, I haven't perfectly like crafted a family mission statement. Yeah. Yet, and it's right? just but, like, you can be a one-liner. Yeah. yeah. In but what, the ether. What, what I say is like, you know, I, I explained to the kids, especially Rosie, right? Who's seven. She understands a yes. little bit. We've been doing a lot of like reading about slavery, for example, yeah. both in the Americas, around the world and ancient times, yeah. right? Slavery, how horrible it is. And so I talked to her about the point of the Better Life Tribe. What we are doing is we are going to give away $50 million yes. a year to fight it's slavery, insane. right? So she understands Slavery is bad. It exists today. And daddy, not just daddy, it's like- We're fighting it. We are yeah. fighting slavery. And I tell yeah. her like, you are part of that, Rosie. I Wilder, you're that. part of that. Heather, you're part of that. So when daddy goes out, daddy's going to go speak at an event because daddy's yeah. working yes. to just like we all are. And that has made, yeah, they don't cry anymore when I leave. <laughs> yes. Again, they're still yes. sad. Yes. But all of a sudden, everyone has a purpose. And I'll, I'll add one more piece to it. Heather for a while felt very, and I'll let her tell her story someday on the, on the podcast, but she felt like, she was just mom and yeah. raising the kids and dad was dad. Just getting left behind. Right? Just, and, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Alyssa, and same thing. We had to rewrite that story. And yeah. so today, like what Heather, actually Heather's one that realized this is that she was a piece of the team and her team, a large piece of her role is dinners that we do here with friends. When Alex yeah. and, and Miss Kate come over, yes. when like last Friday, you know, Sabbath dinner, Heather is the almost yes. like entertainer. Like she brings the food and yeah. the vibe and the meaning, but who's coming over to my house? All my coworkers, my employees, my yeah investors, everybody's yeah. coming over for this. So she has all of a sudden, it changed the narrative and she realized, oh no, I play a very important role in this yes. team. Yes. Like I'm the one that curates the yeah. environment, experience. the experience, yep. and that is a vital role. And it I changed our marriage yeah. to such a degree because she was just feeling like she was just the mom and no longer a business anymore. And yes. now we go at it as a team. So yes. one of the one of the easiest examples I'll tell people if they're listening is just think about the team analogy, get out a piece of paper, and start on a column with like, it's really fun and there's, there's endless options, but like on the left column, the fir the left side put, what does a team have? Okay. And then by the way, there's no right answers to that. Just kind of dream. What I mean by that is like, what does a team have? Like be dumb. Like, uh, they have uniforms. Okay. Mm. That's one. They have secret handshakes. Probably that's two. Yeah. They have uh, a mission. That's three. They usually practice. That's four. They play games. That's five. They have certain vocabulary. They have certain or, vocabulary yeah, that, yeah. or insider language insider is actually language, a great yeah. one. That's six. That's in Dan Coyle's culture code book. It's one of my favorite books. That's it's exactly that. They have insider language. Seven, whatever. Keep going. Keep going. Right. And so what you do is you write all that and then start just like for fun. Like this is just a whiteboard session. How would you fill those in? Yeah. Like what is your family's secret handshake? What is your family's games? You should have something that means something on your family or else you're not doing anything. Yeah. Right. And then by the way, when you have games, you need to practice for them. What does your practice look like? What's it look like? Right. What's the inserted language? Right. Those. And by the way, you also think of health of kids, man, kids are so the healthiest kids come from team environments because, again, it gives them not just self-esteem and unconditional love, but it gives them meaning, it gives them strong meaning. That's amazing. All right. Before we move on to the last couple segments, uh, one aspect of the show is uh, we give away all the revenue from every ad toward the charity of the guest Do you know choice. anyone else that does that? Does anyone else do that? That's I don't amazing. know anybody, but it's kind of a sneaky tactic, yeah. right? Because one, it makes you want to promote the show because <laughs> the more people that listen to this show, yes. the more people, but it also makes it like, I mean, what? it's not like a tremendous amount of money. We're not a yeah. billion download yeah. show, but it's <laughs> enough that like, wait, yeah. we can make an impact in a thing that you care about. That's amazing. So what do you care about? What breaks your heart? What should we throw the money from this? Uh... Um, the one kind of nonprofit thing that takes up a lot of my time is reforming men. Okay. And that is basically our mine and John Tyson also with him. So he's the other partner on that. Our heart for men, man. I think men are kind of the silent losers right now, if that makes sense. If there's winners and losers in our society, meaning, and what I mean by that is because men are taking so, they're taking so many hits, right? That the white male and all these things. And 
but it's too soon for people to be tender to them mm. that they're just like silently losing in the background because they're taking all the hits from the, the as the demonized person in, in society right now. Okay. And then also the data is also not lining up that they're having all those benefits. Women are going to college two X to one men right now, which is oh. wild. So like you just look at the trajectory and I'm saying is it's not going to go well. Yeah. Right. All the deaths of suicide are like 80% men. Drug overdoses are like 90% men. The prison population is like 80 or 90% men. A loneliness epidemic, which is a very serious thing that even the Surgeon General's talked about, is it mostly men? Yeah, war. Yeah, war, war. is men. Yeah. Homelessness is men. So it's just like, it's one of those things where men are actually hurting on a lot of fronts, but because of the cultural moment we're in, we're yep. not allowed to talk about that as much because yeah. it feels like they don't deserve that moment, Yep. right? And so me and John have really leaned into that. And so, yeah, we do a ton of stuff. We do retreats. We do these really, really cool curated retreats that are four days on a ranch in Texas. You have to turn in your phone when you show up. Mm. And it is wild how that alone makes it a life-changing retreat. Almost every single guy there would say, I've never yeah. done that before. Yeah. I've never gone without my phone for four days. Right. And they have to talk to each other. They're doing all these exercises and processing. We do conferences, we do curriculum. So it's basically a ministry that kind of involves a lot of things, but it's for men to get their heart back, to heal from their wounds, to get on fire again and to go back into their place, just invigorated and lead and serve and love. But yeah, that would be it though, for sure. So good, man. Well, we'll be sure to write that check and let's cue the ad. This is gonna be a short, short ad. It's for something else that's free and you really should know about it because it benefits you. Did you know I have a weekly text message newsletter where I send out my top real estate investing advice, books that I'm reading, and more? It is called Behind the Beard. Get it? Behind the Beard. And you can join by simply going to beardybrandon.com. That is beard with a Y, Brandon. Beardebrandon.com. It's 100% free, and it's just a good way for me to stay connected with you. And now, back to the show. All right, coming back, yes. let's jump into these next few sections. We got a section called the three, two, one, Ooh. and something called past, present, future. Because okay. I like framework. So the three, I don't know two, if I'm ready, but let's see. Uh, all right, three, two, one. We're gonna start with three. It's so there's a concept I love of the idea of a pivot book. Okay, a, a book that you read and your life is going one direction, and you oh, pivot to books. another direction, right? So, the, so what are three pivot books in your past? Things Ooh. that have changed the direction. I got of your more life. than three. I mean, there's obviously, you know, you know, the classics, but they're too cliche, but like the rich dad, poor dad would have changed my life at 23, 24, how I see money, how I see all that. But I'm not, I won't say that one. I'll say culture code. I already gave it a nod okay. earlier. I've Dan, not read that one. Dan Coyle. So it's a business book about team culture. So that's okay. what the book's about. It almost reads Malcolm Gladwell. So kind of yeah. it's like fascinatingly bouncing around sociology, psychology, all that stuff studies. But what it did for me is change my family. It's a business book about team. Read that book as a parent with a parent lens and take all the wisdom to your family. It'll absolutely change your family. That's great. It'll absolutely change your family, change my family. How I see team, how I see, it's basically how to build culture, right? Yeah. Where they love it. They want to be around it. That's one. Two, um, hold on to your kids. So I'm, uh, it's funny. I'm saying all family. I'm not, I wasn't yeah. trying to say family books. That's all right. Um, hold on to your kids is by two secular psychologists that basically argue we are in the most peer attached society in all of human history, meaning our kids are around more peers for more time and around adults less than they ever have been in all of human history, in all of yeah. societies. That's wild. Yeah. And it's not good. No, it's not good. And that's what's so pure. It's called peer attached syndrome. Mm. And it basically says like, it's exactly what it's basically, you know, everyone knows, a lot of people know this theory of attachment and how you have that attachment and how it's healthy and all that stuff. But what peer attachment is, is when basically it's that moment in your, usually in your teenage years, right? Because you're so involved with your peers more than your parents or more than adults and more than mentors that you 
basically detach from your parents and then you latch onto peers and then now you see your parents or adults as enemies. And most mm -hmm. people have that teenage season yep. and we think it's normal just because it's common. That does, common doesn't mean normal, right? It's not normal and it's not healthy. Yeah. They, they have a great metaphor in there where they say, they say this, imagine if your wife, if you're married as a guy and your wife comes home and all of a sudden she's just like the next couple months, she's just like massive cold shoulder. She, every time you talk to her, she like scoffs at you or belittles you. She doesn't want to talk to you. She doesn't engage. She slams the door. If you're even around her phone on the counter, she like grabs it real quick, doesn't want you to see it, whatever, right? All those things. What would you probably immediately say is happening? Yeah, she's cheating. Her yeah, affair, big, yeah, an affair. Big, an affair. She's she's cheating for sure, okay? Now, they basically, that's a perfect metaphor, but they go, that's exactly what all our teenagers are doing, right? Yep. And we and we say, oh, that's just a I phase. Just, yeah, it's just teenagers. It's just a phase. No, no. They're cheating on you with their peers emotionally yeah. is basically what they say. Mm. That's a wild argument, Yeah. right? But that's what they say. They, they basically detached from you that's because that's what happens in, a, in an actual marriage affair, right? The reason they're treating you like that is because they have detached from you and now latched onto a new person for that orbiting force. And that's a really, the minute you see that, that's really unhealthy and really damaging and you have to fight against it rather than call it normal. So I won't expand on that more. That one's amazing. Third book, yeah. How God Became King. That would be a theological Christian book by N.T. Wright. For Christians listening or even for non-Christians listening, you'd find this fascinating. This is the first page of the book. He says, can your Christianity or can your relationship with Jesus would it be any different, this is very weird to think about and almost kind of grotesque, but it's a, you get the metaphor, is he says, if Jesus was basically born in Bethlehem and then went to the cross the next day as a baby, he goes, if your walk with Jesus would be no different if that was the case, then you don't understand the Bible. Because mm -hmm. what, what he says is, then what's the point of his life? But you know what I mean? He basically says, and that's, so the whole premise yep. is actually, the whole premise of that book is actually how the gospels and his whole 33 years before the cross was actually this fulfillment of this beautiful thousand-year story coming before him of God saying, a human king will not get the job done. I will come down and reign and rule graciously and lovingly. And that the cross then is actually not this random moment, but actually the final act of the play where the cross is actually a throne that he sits on. Mm. But it's actually like, that's actually like a throne where he gets crowned, right? Like, yep, he did it. He achieved it. He's the king of the world. And it's such a unique upside-down king that actually his death is the moment that he gets the crown. That's so fascinating, right? Yeah. So that book really changed how I see my walk with Jesus and how I see Jesus's life. That actually how he lived, not just how he died, should inform my life. Yeah, really good, man. I've not read any of those. I love when people go. give me new books. There All you go. three of those are brand new. Done. All right, so three, two, one. So the two is two people who have impacted your life in a, in a profound oh. way. That's funny because I've mentioned them basically John Tyson and then Jeremy Pryor, who would be my mentor, closest mentor in my life and who I run family teams with. Okay. So, I mean, just, man, those two men, I know my dad, I have a good relationship with my dad, but certainly, you know, I wasn't raised with him. And so I didn't have much of a relationship with him growing up. So man, John and Jeremy, just the way that I've been in relation with them over years and the way they've transformed my, <clears throat> excuse me, marriage and family. And here's what I would say to men or women listening. You absolutely need to find someone that just can be the person you call at any time to ask any question. And if you don't have that person, I think you're walking on thin ice, but it would absolutely be those two guys, those two men just transformed my life. Any even even business to business, spirituality, mm -hmm. life, everything. Any tips for people who maybe don't have that? And yes, the tip I always give person. is never ask someone to be your mentor. Yeah. That's like asking someone to marry you on the first date. Only weird Christian colleges do that. Don't ever do that. <laughs> don't ever do that. What I would say is give them value. Don't ask them any of the mentor questions, right? So what I mean by that is like, find someone who maybe you want to like get in their orbit, okay? Whether, and by the way, I don't even think it should always be business. I think it should be life, family, yeah. marriage, character, integrity. Yeah, I think people look off and they're like, well, who's the wealthiest person yeah. I know? I'm going to no, look at No, look at the them. person who's freaking has joy at 60, yeah. whose kids are 27 and love him, yeah. who have integrity and character, 
And usually, by the way, that usually lines up with success, by the way. Yeah. But look for those things. Look for those metrics, okay? Then go up to them and say, is there any area in your life I can work or help you for free, whether it's sweeping floors, filing papers, or getting you a glass of water every 30 minutes, whatever it is. That'd probably be a very high maintenance person. That's it. And it's crazy how no one almost turns that down. Yeah. Because it's just like, well, yeah, of course, I, right? Right. Yeah. And what's interesting is, by the way, especially men, I think women might be similar to this, but I can't speak from that. The one-on-one like coffee and just like brain dump is not super conducive for male like biology. If, like we're not wired to just like, you know, share heart to heart where what we do is we share really well when we're doing activities shoulder to shoulder. So all of a sudden you get in someone's office and you're just like cleaning up or helping or doing whatever. I bet you for an hour, you're going to have a really good conversation. Yeah. Right. And I bet it'll be very mentor level like wisdom. So that's what I would say is just find those people, freaking mow their lawn. Yeah. Right. And if you're too above that, well then that's on you. Yeah. Like if you actually really want a mentor, then you should freaking scrub some shoes or floors yeah. to get in that environment. I, I you know, I did. So yeah. it's again, mow lawns, do whatever you need to do to just like be a, in the orbit of the person that you want to be around. And I bet there'll be a lot of good conversations you'll have in that environment. Thousand percent, man. Yeah, my uh, my mentor uh, in real estate, especially his name is Kyle. I just started painting houses for him, and then I managed all his rental properties exactly. for almost no money. And then and you're in contact years. with them, and then yeah. you're like, yes, yeah. Exactly. I was I was a millionaire when I was still managing his properties for like two hundred bucks a month, like managing like twenty or thirty of his units. And but I it's was relationships. Still, yeah, it was it's really, relationships. Yeah, I was, and I felt like I almost like I owed him, and maybe I didn't, but like <laughs> I just kept doing it until yes. I moved here to Hawaii. I, I was still that. managing his properties. Yes. So. Yeah, it, it was great. Perfect example. All right. So the last question, there's a three, two, one. So the last of the three, two, one, what is one quote you live your life by? Oh, that one's tough for me. I don't feel like I live my life by quotes. <laughs> what have I quoted so far? I've quoted Lord of the Rings. Oh, you had a couple of really good ones today. Theology, yeah, theology, yeah. I'll, I'll keep it in the, I, li- I do live my life through Lord of the Rings and Narnia. Okay. I actually really believe more people should read fiction and should read really good mythological yeah. narrative fiction. What's a Narnia quote I really like? There's obviously the classic, he's not safe, he's good. Yep. I love, love the line with Lucy where Lucy always says, Aslan, you're getting bigger. And he says, no, it's just because every year you get older, you see me as bigger. Basically that like God is always, a, the more mature you get, then your view of God keeps expanding is basically the point of that quote, which is beautiful. That's cool. Um, I love, probably my favorite quote is probably, it's in Narnia. It's what he says. Oh, it's, um, I can't remember who's, maybe the beavers or something. They're talking about Aslan and they say, it's really short. They just say, when Aslan... When Aslan finally bears his teeth, winter will meet its final death. And I love, I'm always thinking, like, that's a metaphor for me of the kingdom of God. Yeah. That, man, when Aslan bears his teeth, winter will meet its final death. And it's like, man, winter is such a good picture of sin and decay and corruption and pain and hurt of the world because it's cold. Things can't grow. It's not joyful. People isolate more in winter because, you know, they have to be inside. All these different types of things. But, man, for me as a Christian— just seeing the kingdom of God like that, that man, when God comes down in this earth and does what he finally says he's going to do, which is make all things right. Everything's broken. Everything's fractured. Everything hurts. Our relationship with God is fractured. Our relationship with each other is fractured. Our relationship with the earth is fractured. And the Christian narrative would say when God finally comes back, he started it. He like opened the door at the cross. But when he finally comes back and finishes the job, winter's gone, man. Yeah. And, freaking, and, the, and I see my life through that because man, my job is actually to come alongside God use my gifts, talents, and treasures to basically melt the snow. Mm. That's my job, right? right? Relationally, with love, with the kids. And I'm like, man, I freaking love, love that line. When Aslan bears his teeth, winter will meet its final death. I mean, it might be a random one. You might not have expected that. But yeah, that's what I would beautiful. Say. That's what I would say. It's awesome, man. All right, two more segments of the, the, the show. I like First segments. One, These are fun. I like segments. I like segments. This one's a fun one. This is usually people's favorite segment. Okay. Tell me what you love about, like, what do you love 
about your wife and then each of your kids. Oh, that's, we got to do a whole podcast on that. (laughs) Alyssa, man, she is so kind. Like, you know, people that like just kindness radiates off them. And there's, I feel like the two words I think of when I think of Alyssa and that super attracted to me, attracted me to her when, when I first met her is kindness and purity Mm. and like purity of heart. Like just, you know, those people that are like, man, the way that they are just so pure in heart, like they're just, there's a joy and a purity and a kindness and a gentleness that is natural that most of us have to conjure up. She doesn't have to conjure it up. So I would say that, man, it's just, it warms me. It changes me. And this is, you know, I'm sure you would say, how long have you guys been married? Uh, 15 years. Dang. Okay. So we're, we're on 11 years, I think. And, but yeah, you get married after a couple of years and you start to realize those, I had a big shift probably year five where the things that really rubbed me the wrong way about her. And I was trying to like get out of her, which is like, you know, it's like such a, you know, like, like stop doing that. Like, don't be that person. Now I'm actually like the opposite. I'm like, that part about you is actually what sandpapers me and like rubs off the rough edges on me. So yeah. I actually keep that. Yeah. Cause it actually is making me so much like, and you can probably tell even with the speed of me talking, I'm, I move fast. She moves very slow. I used to hate that. Now I'm like, you know what? That actually is going to temper my fastness in a really beautiful way. It'll make me more mature in it, all these things. So I would say her kindness, her gentleness, her slowness, her purity of heart. And she's just so her love. It's so radiant. The kids, Ken and Kinsley, Lucy, Kinsley is our oldest. She is just a freaking leader, man. I freaking love her. I'm sure. Do you feel like this yet where you like Kinsley's a a copy of me? The other two aren't, but she's like the way she thinks the food she's likes. And I'm like, dude, I have a freaking clone here. Do you, do you have that yet? Rosie is a clone of uh, her mom. Okay. So you're like, you know, there's clones involved, Yes, but you're like, man. So like, that's just really special. I feel like we have a really special bond because man, she is me. You know what I mean? And she's just such a strong leader. She's fierce. She's incredible. Um, she's super kind. Cannon is our only son. What's really funny is he's like the most tenderhearted of the family. So like back to even the team stuff we were talking about, I constantly tell him the word we use with him is he's the glue. We say you are the glue of this family and not in like a pressure way, but like a joyful way. And what we mean by that is like, he is so tender. He's just like Alyssa that as the kid, he's like the perfect, like he's just constantly like, if anyone's sad, he's the guy. Do you know what I mean? Yep. He's the, and it's like, you wouldn't think that would be the son, but it is. And it's amazing and beautiful how he's just caught. And so I'm always actually inflaming that in him. I'm like, dude, you are absolutely going to hold our family together. When anytime someone's frustrated, you're going to be the one that's, you know, writing them notes, thinking of them, praying for them, hugging them, seeking them out. And he does do that. He's so tender, so thoughtful. And he's really sensitive to people's emotions. Lucy, I don't know if we've discovered a personality crazy yet. She's four. I mean, we're starting to see it. She's crazy. She's hilarious. Just like She's the full sender, especially living here in Hawaii. She'll jump off a cliff that none of those kids, our other kids would have at four. She'll freaking do anything. Like even yesterday, we were playing, what were we playing? Legos maybe? Oh, some sword fight game. And it was like out of Legos. And the bet was whoever's Lego breaks first, like you can make a bet on. And with Lucy, we said, you got to jump in the pool with your clothes on. And I feel like a lot of four-year-olds would be like, either don't get it or maybe wouldn't or whatever. She lost the bet and just runs out and just jumps in the pool. And I'm just like, yes, she's like a full send. So that's what I would say. Oh, beautiful, man. All right. Last segment oh, of the show. Segment on segments. We're calling it past, present, future. Okay. All right. First question. So we're going to do a question about your past, question about your present, and question about your future. If you could give your younger self, uh, go back to the very beginning of where we started today's uh, I Childhood guess, or like 20s? Oh, let's go childhood. Okay. You raised in a rough home. Let's yep. go teens maybe. Okay. What advice would you give your younger self? And I know obviously you wouldn't be where you were today yeah, if you yeah. weren't for that, but as somebody else maybe in those shoes. Like if I had a DeLorean and I did Marty yeah. McFly status. Yeah. What would you, what advice would you give your younger self? Ooh, that's tough. It, if I go to the teenage years, I just wish I would have been kinder to people. You know how teenagers just get so, 
I let my own wounds, you know, I wasn't mature enough, but like a lot of my own wounds just hardened my heart. And then I think that hurt just a lot of relationships around me. I just wasn't kind and thankful for how mm. much I think because I was so disgruntled by some of the circumstances when even in those bad circumstances, you still have so much blessing. Yeah. You still have so much blessing. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, we weren't homeless. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, I really wish I would have been kinder when I was a teenager. And I really hope our, our, our kids are that because I, I, that's something I remember. That's what I'd say. Awesome. All right. Present. What's one thing you've done in the last year uh, that you've implemented in your life that's given you a little bit better life? What's something new that you've implemented? Me and Alyssa play more. I heard a talk, coincidentally, by John Tyson on the psychology of play and how basically, again, he was talking to a group of men, so I'm sure it could be true for girls, but he was framing it to men or it would be true to ladies. He basically said, the general trait, there's a book called Lonely at the Top, another fascinating book uh, about the loneliness of men. And the whole premise of the book is men basically, whether they realize it or not, trade success for loneliness. And they're willing to make that trade. Ooh. They're willing to make that trade. But what happens is you don't learn how bad of a trade that was until your mid thirties to mid forties. So you make that trade for about 15 years, 20, 20 to 35, 20 to 40. And then about 44, you realize that was a very bad trade. I shouldn't have done that trade. I feel like I started to see a little bit of that kind of what I was talking about earlier, like always say no, all that stuff. Like, I feel like I just was like, I don't think I hit any rock bottom with it at all, but I was just like, Ooh, I need to, the, just like the natural, like I traded success for loneliness a little bit. So that was probably a couple years ago. So then one of the antidotes to that, this talk kind of really brought that up in me is just, man, I need to play more. Like men don't play. They don't play the burdens of the freaking bills and the kids and the life and the real estate and the investments and the whatever, just saddle them down until they are just like freaking like a, a horse with that. What do you call that? Like a bit in their mouth or whatever. Yeah. Just, they're just like, just hauling and focused and like, you know, no joy freaking play like play. And I don't mean Legos, even though for me, it yeah. actually is that. Cause I love Lego. Um, <laughs> I mean, like when you're done with it just makes you be like, I am alive. Mm. So for me, that would be like spearfishing or swimming in the, you know, the Maui ocean ones are easy, but I would say uh, pickleball, man, pickleball is so fun. And, and we implemented that together as a couple, because again, for marriages out there, I don't know if you guys have felt like this, we have date nights, we love them, but I started to feel like the, I couldn't do the heart to heart all the time. Like yep. the, we're getting drinks, we're staring in each other's eyes and yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. unpack everything. Those are needed sometimes, but then we never play together. Yep. So it's like, dude, we need to just laugh together. We need to have some competition. We need to have some fun. So we started playing pickleball every Thursday and it like transformed our marriage. Like we just laugh and hilarious. And then guess what? On the ride there and the ride back, it's a heart to heart. So it's like, you know, you kind of get two for one special, but I would say that for sure. I love Play it. pickleball specifically. All right. Well, I'm calling it here. I'm inviting myself over. Me and Heather are going to play you guys. Our court's going to be done soon. Yeah. I should, I should have like a standing rule of, for couples where I feel like if anyone can beat us, we have to give them a hundred bucks or something. <laughs> me and my wife are pretty good. That's a good so idea. So I might have to have a standing rule. Yeah. You should totally yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, I haven't showed you at the backyard. I'll show you when we get out of here in a minute, but I, I had a pickleball court back there. You took it out? Uh, we covered it and put a garden in. You'll see it. But now that's where the dinners Bad are. Move. I know. Bad now, move. Yeah. Kate is actively looking for pickleball competitors. Oh, funny. Well, well, there you go. We got them. Yes. Come on up. We need to start. It'll be so busy. We need to do like a bracket situation or something. <laughs> Sign up sheet. So good. All right. Last question of this segment. What do you want your legacy to be at the end of your life when people oh, talk about Psalm, you? Psalm 128. Sorry to be the Christian guy that quotes the scripture. <laughs> Psalm 128, though, is a beautiful picture. So my, my question I always ask people is like, at the end of your life, kind of what you're asking, legacy, what's the picture in your head? Not necessarily the data on the, the paper that you'd write down, but what's the, what does it look like? Is it like a big house? Is it, I don't know, you're on a beach somewhere? Is it maybe you just have like work freedom? That's a lot of, you know, like you just feel like you don't have to work that much and you just for free. That's a great one. For me, it's Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is painting this picture of this old man. And it says, may his I think it's, I forget the first part about his wife. I think it says, may his wife be 
like a fruit of the vine that grows healthily and flourishing. Look at this, pulling it up for me. Oh, Alex. Alex. Look at you, man. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your house, but then I think of the kid verse, which is next. And may your children be like olive shoots sitting around your table. So that's my what I want my legacy to be, is I want my freaking kid. I want I, What a picture yeah. that when I die, right, hopefully, that's what Psalm 128 is saying, and it's saying, may it be, may it be, where your kids are like olive shoots around your table. Grandkids. Like, so, yeah. you know, and I don't, of course, you know, maybe our kids won't get married. Maybe our grandkids, whatever. But I think in general, maybe it's even like spiritual sons and daughters, people that just we've had an impact on. But what I see my legacy to be and what I want that last moment to be as a table of 35 to 45, three generation downline yep. people that I have just like, this is the good life right mm -hmm. here. Not the house, not the car, not the work freedom, but human relationship and legacy downstream of hopefully what I've left and deposited into people. And I think that phrases it the best. May your table, may your sons and daughters be like olive shoots around your table. What a freaking phrase. Oh, I love that. Amazing. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Last question of the day, man. Where do people follow you? Where do you want to send them? Where do you want uh, them? To I feel like I'm at? a predominant Instagram guy. Are you? Yeah, was you say that's yeah. the home, home team. Yeah. I mean, I'm on TikTok and all those other things. I'm on all social platforms, but if you actually want to like have me probably see the DM or a tag yeah. or whatever, Instagram for sure. Instagram. Uh, Jefferson Bethke. You know, that's not my real name. Um, <laughs> And then website, uh, we don't, you know, that's not really a thing anymore as much, you know? Oh, I mean, I know. Uh, you probably I have say, sites for all those things we mentioned. Say, so today, I would yeah. say, yes, yeah, so I would say, but they're all pretty easy. Formingmen.com, familyteams.com, primalpath.co, and then newflora.com. Oh, who the took primalpath.com? I know. That's go, all, like, I need gotta, to look up yeah. the register. I'm like, who's, <laughs> okay, take who's that primalpathing back. out there? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I would say. That'd be the domains. All right. Very cool. Dude, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you. And thank uh, you, we'll see you uh, on the pickleball That's right. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife. abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.